Welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary, and this week we're talking about Season 1, Episode 12, Prophecy Girl. I'm joined this week by not one, but two special guests. Froggy. Yay! No, I, I don't know if you even get to be classified as a special I, I, guest anymore. Yeah, I don't think I'm special anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> You've just been adopted onto the team. You're just, you're like a permanent fixture now. Yeah. You're not special. No, so, our fine. actual special guest, <laughs> sorry. That's okay. It's Jackie! Yay! 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 I'm so excited uh, I don't know if I'm special either but um i am jackie or one two three jackie b as my some of my peeps may know me as um and yeah i'm so excited i'm so excited this is the first episode of buffy i've ever watched so i'm really excited to be talking about so, it yeah i so I, I was i was gonna just have you do that tell us a little bit about yourself how and when you discovered Buffy and what Buffy means to you. And I think most people know you discovered it in high school because it's been very clear you're my OG Buffy partner. But yeah, tell us a little bit more about your relationship with Buffy. Well, I, so I looked this up because I actually didn't remember. I knew it was a mid-season replacement. Um, At the time I was watching Roar, which had beautiful Heath Ledger in it. I am... I mean, he's dead now, but I just love Heath Ledger. No, because I don't want to say I love Heath Ledger and people will be like, well, this bitch doesn't know he's dead. Um, yes, I realize he's dead. Roar but was so good, though. <laughs> he, Yeah, Roar was good. He was amazing. And all my friends, this is like, I think uh, towards the end of my freshman year of high school, all my friends were like, you have to watch Buffy. And I'm like... I'm watching Roar with Heath Ledger. Um, I'm not going to watch something. I, I had seen the movie and I actually, I enjoyed the movie for what it was. The movie was very campy and it's very non-serious. You know, it's just, it's not serious at all. And so I was like, I don't know how you're going to make a TV show out of that film. So I was resisting watching it because I kept anticipating the series to be something like the film. And I'm like, I don't know how you draw that out without it being a sitcom. It would be 12 episodes of Amelin Dye. Right, exactly. Which would be funny, but get get would get old after a while. Oh my um, God, a, a so, sitcom version of Buffy would be so good. Yeah. So finally, I think I think this episode aired in the summer. Um, so Roar, I think the way it timed out was I could actually like I was like, OK, I can actually tune into this because Roar is not on this week or whatever. Um, so I that. Yeah. So that was the first episode I watched. I watched it when it aired live. And then after this episode, I was hooked. And um, I can say there's obviously like as we go through the episode, we'll talk about a whole bunch of reasons why I think this episode is great. Um, but one of the main things that hooked me is I am a long fan of fantasy and sci-fi genre. And so many times throughout that genre, what they either do is they don't kill the protagonist when they say they're going to kill them. So they find some way to like... Uh, I mean, not either or, I'm sorry. They just, they always find some way to skirt the the prophecy or whatever it is. It's There's like either loophole. the prophecy was wrong or they managed to like just totally defeat it and they actually killed her. And I was yep. like, all right, I'm down because I thought that was a brave choice to not say, okay, our prophecies lie and they make no sense. Instead, they're saying, no, like we set up this, we set up this system. This is how the system works. And, you know, it, it she was supposed to be here. Like she was supposed to die and then they killed her. And so I was like, 
that was a bold move. Like I, you know, and obviously you can't have your main character just die and not come back, but I appreciated that they actually killed her. So I, I thought that, I thought that was a bold move and I was hooked from there. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk a lot about the end <laughs> of this episode when we get there. Cause there, there's a lot to be said about that, about the prophecy and about the whole, the idea of this virgin in a white dress sent to die. Like we I can- think, you know, at the time I, I think because Joss, the butthead Joss, I don't like him. But we just call him the creator. Okay. Yeah, we just call him the creator. So the creator, he had for this show, which was his first show running experience, he had done some very bold moves oh, yeah. for a television show. Yeah. Yep. But then as we go on and follow this person's career, we realize that this was all he had in his arsenal. So like I keep seeing him do these same things on other shows and I'm like, oh, you have one idea. So yeah. basically like this show... It was a bold idea at the time. It was uh, it was things that we had not seen on television before. But really, the cast holds this up. The other writers hold it up. Y- you know, if this guy didn't have this team of writers, if he didn't have this cast, I don't I don't think this show would be as beloved as it was. And then once he started making other things, I was like, okay, dude, it's time to retire because you keep doing the same thing over and over again. And it's just sometimes it's with British people. Sometimes it's within space. Now it's it's all the same thing. So um, that's where I stand on that. And that's why we want to. That's <laughs> that's why we want to talk about this show because even though he created it, there is so much more to it. So many oh, people yeah. put their hearts and souls into it that it's not just about him. No. It is all of these amazing and I mean, people. And it launched the career, like not just in front of the camera, but behind it of so many amazing women like Marty Knoxon, yeah. who, you know, Jane Marty is, yeah, Marty and Jane are, are very open about saying if they had not gotten on the show, if he had not given them the freedom he gave them, they probably would not have careers yeah. today because he was the one willing to give them that chance in the beginning. And I mean, obviously they, they have surpassed him at this point, but the fact that I mean, they're showrunners in their own right now. And yeah. I mean, they're coming up with completely fresh concepts and ideas. Jane Espenson was a showrunner on Once Upon a Time, which, I mean, as cheesy as some people think (laughs) Once Upon a Time was, that was a really unique idea. It was was a really unique idea. I think Jane's also doing Legacies right now, which love them. They do a lot of the throwbacks like Dark Josie had the veins and the all black outfit and the short black hair. And I'm like, oh, Jane, (laughs) I see you. (laughs) So... Prophecy Girl. There's a lot to talk about here. There's so much to unpack. So yes, this did air. This aired June 2nd, 1997, and it was still a Monday. So Monday did carry us through the entire first season. Whether we'll start second season on a Monday or Tuesday, we'll see. But we're still on a Monday. So our synopsis for this episode is Xander and Angel race to save Buffy from a fateful meeting with the Master, while Cordelia joins the battle against an army of vampires. (laughs) Cordelia does have some of my favorite moments in this episode. Okay, so we don't have a Slayer spiel this week. 
This is the first episode in season one without it, but we do get a previously on. This one was not in the script, but the script I used for this episode was a white script. It was the original unedited script. Mm-hmm. So I, I forgot to check what color the script that had the previously on was. So I don't know if that was like the last version before they shot it. They decide they put, I don't know. I don't know. I find it weird that a previously on is in a script. And, and if, had I not seen one in it, I never would have thought about it. But we do get... Key moments from this season. The master, Angel, the annoying one, the Codex. Everything. He's always going to be the annoying. I, I can't know. help it. Yeah, he is the he annoying is. one. He I'm is. sorry, but that, you know, it. as I told you before, it actually does cost a lot of money to get a child actor. So this was a deliberate choice, I think, um, yeah. to, because they killed that other guy who they thought was the anoint, uh, anointed one. And then, and then they were like, oh no, secretly it's this kid. So it was supposed to be this like, oh snap moment. But the problem is, is the child actor they hired and perhaps he has gotten better with age and took some classes and became no. a great actor. But um, as a kid, no, he's no, just he not hasn't. a good actor. He hasn't really done. Yeah, I think he kind of disappeared after. Yeah, yeah. You know we what, did... though? I'm going to give him the chance that maybe he's in community theater somewhere <laughs> and being excellent. And I applaud you for that, sir. But as a kid, he was just not a good actor. And so all this twist came to be was like, there is an annoying child and I don't know what to do with it. He's doing summer stock. He's doing Shakespeare in the park. (laughs) You know, but he's making a life for himself. Yes, yes. Okay. And getting those residuals. Exactly. Well, he probably isn't. That's the important part. Probably no. 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 It's usually just the top build cast that get that. Oh, poor, poor annoying one. <laughs> well, he's and, getting SAG residuals. Sorry, I should yeah. separate them out. There are two types of residuals. There's like, there's like the oh, I'm a main cast member and my lawyers negotiated for me to get residuals, residuals. And then there's like this show re-aired on Hulu. You get a dollar. You know, yeah. that, that's your SAG residual. <laughs> can, can you, you ma- get a dollar? Can you imagine getting that check in the mail, like? Here is your one dollar. <laughs> oh, I have a friend who she did a like a deodorant commercial that aired like for years and years. And after a while, because it like started trickling out, she was getting checks that were like that small. She was like, just don't send this. Why? I don't need your 50 cents. <laughs> oh my god, I love it so much. All right, so we're gonna start out of the bronze, where Xander is practicing asking Buffy out. And for good reason. He is kind of terrible at it. I mean, I I didn't think his whole first attempt was bad. The whole like date me thing was a little blunt and lacked finesse. But you know, at least he wasn't talking about mating rituals and migration. But you know, also didn't they just have a dance? But then no, this is the same dance. I think I mentioned that later in the episode where I'm like, for, for a while, I was confused why we were having two dances in a row. And then I was like, no, wait, same dance. Same. Da- <laughs> well, because it was the coronation, I guess, is separate yeah, than the dance. Yeah. And that doesn't normally happen. Yeah. Not that we did any of those things in our school we had no boys at our school well yeah you had an all-girls school <laughs> we had no boys we had no may queen prom queen. no we didn't, we didn't do any of that we had well we had like farm queen and stuff like that because i grew up out in the country oh. and we had everybody riding in on tractors <laughs> i love yeah. it i love that i'm, I'm gonna need pictures of that <laughs> like think like friday night lights oh yeah. i was thinking more um uh What's the one? Footloose. Oh, <laughs> yes. They did allow da- dancing in our town, though. Like, oh, okay. we, we weren't that <laughs> that repressed. <laughs> but I was picturing, you know, that scene um, in the movie where the tractors are coming to yeah. each other? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh. no. Yeah, I'm going to say, I told you, I'm going to need pictures of this. I, I, I've never been. I, I was... Uh, 
not part of all of that. So uh, there's no pictures of me riding on a tractor. Oh, no, that's just sad. Yeah, sorry. We could just superimpose you on a tractor there and then go, yeah. and then submit it to UCLA for uh, admission. <laughs> oh. <laughs> just yeah, part of the tractor team. <laughs> we, we did donuts on the field. <laughs> it was synchronized. Give us a scholarship. Oh, I am Lori Laughlin's daughter. I'm sorry, this is irrelevant. No, it's fine. It doesn't matter. It's fine. We get on a lot of side tangents. You listen to the show. I do. And that's not, that's with other stuff cut out. (laughs) You should hear the stuff I get. You should hear the stuff I cut out. (laughs) Anyway, poor Willow is sitting there listening to him, most likely to give opinions. And you can just, you you can tell she's wishing it was her. And it just, it breaks my heart. (laughs) And also me too, Willow. Like 14 year old Mary also wanted it to be her that Xander was asking out. He ends the whole thing by saying someone should just kill him. Why is it so hard? (laughs) Why can't he just walk up to Buffy and say, Hey, I like you. Let's go to the dance. Phrasing, which Willow points out, is direct and to the point. Filled with resolve and realizing that his lines aren't going to get any better, Xander says he needs to do it tonight. Now, only problem is Buffy's in at the bronze for, for once. once. Yeah, <laughs> she's at Lookout Point or whatever the Sunnydale equivalent is. I know, I know, we get a name for it in season two. I just forgot to look it up because, like, literally the werewolf episode, they they name it. She's fighting a vampire while Cordelia makes out with someone in a car. Someone who is not Mitch. Not Mitch. Well, mm-hmm. he had a really bad act. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about that and how Cordelia apparently decided he was not going to look good in those pictures and dumped his ass. <laughs> and can we just mention how amazing this transition is? Because this is the one where you get Buffy in the full-on slow motion fall and then she hits the ground and it's right after Willow's like, she's off doing the usual and it's just, oh, oh, there's so much about this episode I love and this is, this is one of those things and I love everything about this scene because the slow motion continues with that steady, like, underlying music and Buffy's getting to her feet and she's running her stake and she has this little smirk as the vampire realizes what is happening and how very fucked he is. And it's just, oh, it's brilliant. Especially because you have it all with Cordelia's like, somebody's out there. And not Mitch is like, no, who would be out there? And this is all cut with Buffy. And then bam, you're back to real time as she kicks the vampire's ass and turns him to dust for the third time that night. Giles would be proud. It's a very horror movie oh, yeah. type of setup. Like with the two teenage kids making out at Lover's Lane and the like creature lurking outside. Yeah. yeah, this this episode is very heavy on the horror tropes. Yeah. And I kind of love it for that. Yes. I This was one of the things that also drew me to the show was that I, I mean, I love a good horror sci-fi, sci-fi fantasy. But the thing about horror is that women often get killed yeah. very early on in horror which it was wonderful to see that there's so many women in this cast um, and they all have different various types of roles. And I, I appreciated that because, I mean, we grew up watching Scream and it's like, you know, women are routinely murdered in the first scene of yeah. Scream and the guy, mur- it's always a guy murdering them, you know. Not that I'm saying that women should be murderers. No. <laughs> well, and it's, and it's always the final girl. Like it's that well, whole. So funny that you should mention Scream because Scream came out very close to Buffy. Yes. And you said we grew up watching Scream. Scream is 
credited, like, like the character of Sid is credited right there with Buffy as being part of the 90s girl power revolution. They don't follow. Yeah, like... Because well, I think it was the whole idea of Sid in the end, and especially Sid in the movies that follow with the, like, my past does not define me. These horrible murders that happened in my past do not define me. Yeah, I'm I guess. Not, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I was, it was one of the articles yeah. I was reading about, like, the move from Buffy from tele, uh, from movie to television and it talked about the whole 90s girl empowerment and Scream came up and Buffy came up and Xena, Charm, the Spice Girls. Yeah, the the 90s thing, it, it actually started... A, you know, as a political movement, because you had the um, oh crap, who was that woman who accused Clarence Thomas of Anita Hill? Uh, Anita, yeah, it started yeah. with the Anita Hill thing, and then it became like a year of woman empowerment because, like, you know, this guy still and still doing, dealing with it now, but you know, it's like this still guy still on the bench. He he still managed to get through all of that and uh, get through his um, to his confirmation, and, and people so, are still men are still getting through, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's just yeah. crazy. But uh, but uh, I I think that like you know stuff that happens like that in the real world then trickles into the into the entertainment to reflect the entertainment sphere. But I think there's no, there was at the time it's like I was looking at other popular shows for teens at the time, and I can't. I mean, there's been there hasn't at that this was revolutionary to have a teenage fantasy sci-fi show on primetime network television. Yeah. I mean, you had, you know, you had the other stuff for teens was like Dawson's Creek. It was like very like, you know, soapy kind of stuff, or it was sitcom stuff and really good sitcoms, but you didn't have like sci-fi fantasy and sci-fi fantasy was typically, you know, for the like adult sphere, or it was something that was on a, on a cable channel. It wasn't something that, Oh, I turn in, I tune into to primetime TV with my little ears and I can still see it, you know? You know, I, I mean, the ears on the television for these people that are yes, younger we, than yes, We us. get it. We, I know everyone, everyone here is like old enough to understand these references. Yeah. I know. I yeah. just want to, for those younger viewers listening, uh, when you, when you had TV, you used to be able to watch normal broadcast channels, which are like ABC, FBC, <laughs> Fox, um, NBC, CBS, like with little ears on your television. Yes. So, mm-hmm. Like, okay, so here's an interesting question. I know Buffy ended its run on UPN, but it started its run on the WB, which is now the CW, which sci-fi fantasy and superhero shows are basically its bread and butter now. Yeah. Do we think that started with Buffy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. like, I'm not even kidding. Like people, these network leads, they say, oh, well, this is what worked back then. And I think the WB was a fairly new channel at that time. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. And so they saw like, they were like, this is a hit. Like, let's do it. You know, they realize like teens will watch it. It's the same thing now. Like people are realizing like, oh, nerds watch television yeah. and they then they buy things. Yeah. You know, like I was so, despite the ending of Game of Thrones, I was so excited for a series that had fucking amazing CGI dragons that you just, as a nerd, you were like, you would read a book and be like, I want to see a dragon. I want to see something really cool. And so finally, you know, they do this show, which... Um, I don't know, you know, at the time, the special effects, they had a lot of really great practicals. 
So a lot of their face makeup uh, practical effects were top notch for the time. And so you're you're like, oh, my God, I'm geeking out because they're putting they're putting all of like this love and this money into a sci fi work. And then once they see people will watch it, then they're like, OK, well, let's just keep making more of this. No, I think you're absolutely right. I just said something that popped mm-hmm. in my head. I was like, oh, hey, like that's all this station does now. Yeah. I mean, and then CW did Charmed like when when did Charmed start 97 yeah because I I was just actually looking up because I wanted to know when the WB started and that it was January 11th 1995 so it was yeah so it was only about a year or so before Buffy yeah yeah, because they got 7th Heaven in 1996 and then people help you people show I did not watch that show I do not want to watch a show about a preacher or some man with 30 wives what was that one show with the with the guy who was like Mormon or something that was HBO. That was a yeah. Oh, that was HBO. Yeah, Big Love. You're <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did not watch that either. But yeah, so so yeah, so nineteen nine so nineteen ninety five was when the WB started, and it really and WB only lasted eleven years itself before it was CW before it was changed. Yeah. So that's wow. Yeah, I think that I think it had to change because of a merger. And the the other thing is, is like a lot of times these channels, they have to obviously when you're like ABC or NBC, you're just like, we make whatever the fuck we want because everybody's watching us because yeah. we've been around for forever. Um, but if you're a new channel, you have to come up with like what what is our what are we what are we putting out like what is the content we're going to put out yeah so when when you're a you you can't buy up every property so you can't i mean unless you're netflix but netflix is netflix netflix has the most money in the world so all they like their whole shtick is like we buy everything and just like throw it at the wall and see if it sticks (laughs) and i'm not even kidding that is like a legit like knowing netflix that is what they do and so when you're a normal channel with a normal budget, you have to be like, okay, what are the kinds of properties you want to buy? And what are the kinds of shows we want to put out? So like once they once they start putting out, you know, seeing like, oh, okay, this like show has a massive like hit and cult audience. Okay, like, let's form our, um, our image around this type of content. So then not not only are people know where to go, they're like, oh, I want to see like vampire teen superhero shows, like, I know I go to the CW. I and know that. Yeah, like it's all ridiculous, yeah. teen, superhero drama. I mean, like where else could Riverdale have been put? I watched the first episode and I was like, I don't know why this man does not, his hair should not be this red. And why is Archie sexy and he's sleeping with his teacher? <laughs> and that's only no. the first I episode. Mean, so that was my favorite part about the like CW decided not to air the Powerpuff Girls pilot. I'm like, this is the station that looked at Riverdale and was like, yes, this is a logical plot choice. Like, And we're like, no, we can't air this. How bad did the Powerpuff like, Girls how, like, have how to be? Awful did it have to be for it to not be as good as Riverdale and that show has like gone on for some time now I I think it's because most people watch it to be like ah what but okay I mean I I know that's why I still watch it plus it has Skeet Ulrich on it so that no he's gone now he's gone now oh man yeah no I was I was also watching it for the hot dad club and now like the hot dad club is all gone yeah oh but speaking of hot dads speaking of hot dads he's not a dad in the show but he's still a hot dad so we're gonna talk about him anyway uh giles as he's in the library where he's busy studying the codex and i love that we do giles through not one 
but two different windows. We start in the skylight and then we move into his office where we need to talk about the statues on Giles's desk. Like most of them make sense. You've got a gargoyle, <laughs> you've got these idols from other countries and then you have this little short ceramic man off to the side and he's really cute and really creepy all at the same time and I just, I don't know, I was very fixated on him this like entire scene. It's an interesting choice for the school yeah, librarian. Yeah, you guys know me. I get fixated on like the weird thing in the corner <laughs> and then I'm like, what is that little ceramic man? So continuing to comb through the text, Giles finally pinpoints the part where it talks about the master rising. The master shall rise and the slayer, whatever it says about the slayer can't be good as Giles looks a bit stricken. He reaches for his tea only to stop when he notices the cup rattling slightly. Slightly becomes not so slightly as an earthquake begins, sending the teacup, along with everything else on Giles' desk, to the floor. We get glimpses of both the bronze and lookout point, showing that the effects of the earthquake are being felt all over town. Giles comes out of his office just in time to see a row of shells topple and cracks form in the floor and ceiling. Below the ground, the master is loving this. Like, literally, this man is having the time of his life (laughs) as he commands the ground to keep shaking, saying his time has come! Finally, he too will get to go to the small child nightclub. Small child nightclub. Everybody wants to go to the small child. He wants to take his tiny shirt to the small child nightclub. The earthquake stops and the master, looking a bit disappointed, turns to the annoying one asking, what do you think? 5.1? And bam, credit. I freaking love that line. I love it because I I love the way Buffy mixes this like dark horror genre where it's like, okay, we just had this terrible thing happen. And then you have like the bad guy being like jokey about it. Yeah. Um, So I, I thought that was funny. But I think we also, you guys touched on this a little in a previous episode. So this guy's been underground since the 1930s. Um, I don't know if his outfit was deemed unacceptable by the others <laughs> or if he was just stark naked underground. But whoever was like, sir, we need to get you a pleather jumpsuit. Like he wouldn't know that they are exist because he's been underground. So one of those mofos around somebody, him. Yeah. He was insisting that this man wear a pleather jumpsuit. I don't know why. (laughs) It was Luke. This was a very interesting time for fashion. So one of the newer vampires probably was like, Master, this is all the rage in the underground scene. Like, because when did like Blades come? When did Blade come out? Because oh, I, I think Blade was, like, was late 90s. 90s, like 99 or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> look at. But like that whole that whole like weird techno-y yeah. underground rave club. That was that was like when it was all Blade underground. Was 98. 98. All right, okay. So, so, so it was season two. Blade yeah. was season two. Yeah. So it was it was close enough though. Yeah. No. No. The like the 90s mall of the time. Yeah. The 90s mall goth aesthetic was rocking hard. Yeah, so somebody went shopping and thought that the master would look good. <laughs> it was a hot topic. <laughs> hot topic. When hot topic was but the edgy thing is, on- is like, this man just accepts it. He's like supposed to be the supreme evil and he's like, yes. <laughs> Why don't you question this, sir? When you're, you know what, when you're stuck underground for that long, you gotta find some way to spice yourself up. You know what? He makes his own fun. He, yeah, I guess so. I guess he was like, he, maybe that's his thing now. He's like, yes, this is yes, a great outfit. I'm glad this was invented. I, I would like to see what he used to wear, though. Like, Well, I think we will when we get to Angel. Because oh, okay, I think yeah. there's like the scene where Darla first takes Angelus yeah. to the mat. So we're way off from scene 
seen how the master yeah, used it's to been, dress. It's been a thousand but we'll, years. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be fun when we get to Angel because I remember shit about Angel. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, we're I gonna cite line for line Buffy episodes. I stopped Angel... watching Angel after the last two seasons, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> so we return to the library where Giles is looking a little rough between the wait. wait did we pass the credits? Yes. Yes. Okay. Sorry. I, I want to make another comment. Like this is another industry comment on the credits. I love. Yeah, no, go I for love, it. I love Jackie. No, I, I love yeah. Jackie being our industry expert. This is why yeah. I like text her. I wouldn't call, I just call me an industry person who's there and kind of knows stuff. I don't know about an expert. <laughs> Jackie's an industry background lurker. Look, you, could tell us, you could tell us anything and we'd believe Jackie you. Jackie could be like, in the industry, they sacrifice chickens. And I'd be like, cool. I mean, we hear so many things go on in Hollywood. I mean, <laughs> drinking blood and... <laughs> Jackie, are you in a cult? Yes, I am in a cult with Tom Cruise and Hillary Clinton. Tom Hanks. Um, And we frequently meet at a DC pizza parlor. (laughs) In the the basement. In the basement that does not exist. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so what do you want to tell us about the credits? Um, Okay, so people fight in Hollywood. A a big thing is if you're not fighting over salaries, you're fighting over billing, okay? And billing is where your name appears in the credits. Yep. So, of course, Sarah Michelle Gellar gets top bill because she is playing the named character. The next billed person is Nicholas Brendan, which shocked me because Allison Hannigan had more this is a little bit of a sexism in a hollywood thing it's like okay they were like who is the next man in the series and yeah. they were like ah nicholas brennan who has like virtually no credits um and then allison hannigan is after him and so that to me was another like a little shocking kind of sexist thing of yeah. the time because allison hannigan had been uh in in films since she was like 12 or yeah, something yeah she was she was a child actor yeah so yeah. she had more stuff so it's it's interesting because we'll talk about this as the seasons go on because as the credits change and more people come in because there's two things people talk about in the Buffy credits. There is the billing which Jackie just mentioned and there's how many uninterrupted shots of your character are shown and by the end of the series Willow's matches Buffy's for the most uninterrupted shots of Willow in a row before they switch to like a monster and Willow takes Anthony's place as the as becomes Allison Hannigan as, as Willow. Okay. Where it was the originally Anne credit. Anthony. So she gets yeah. the second Anne credit. Okay, well then yeah, that's... because I was going to say, because that's yeah. another big thing, that they build Anthony with his character. The and credit, which is like, it's like a prestige credit. So that's like, let's say you're not the main character on the series, but you are like an, like an honored actor. So like... You know, the series centers around Sarah Michelle Gellar. She has to get top building. Like, you are nuts if you don't give her top building and she should walk away. She is um, Buffy. Buffy needs to be top Yes, yeah. Right, exactly. It will, I mean, this is just like, it's like in The Crown where, um, I forgot the actress's name, but the young actress who's playing the young queen in The Crown getting less than the the male it's like the series is called the crown i yeah. don't care that he's he's been on doc that he's been doctor who yeah she yeah, should still I get more that. i did notice that yeah it's supposed yeah, to they, be they trued her up though after every after it leaked and everyone freaked out because it's like uh She's the main character. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, so that's like the prestige credit you give to the person who isn't the main actor, but who has a very storied career. So someone like in a movie, like let's say Judy Dench comes in for like three scenes, she would get the and credit because she in this movie, okay, maybe she's not the main character, but she's friggin' Judy Dench. So like <laughs> Anthony Head 
has a long career. Allison Hannigan has a long career. So they get that prestige credit at the end. Yeah, yeah. Once Anthony moved away from being a regular, Allison took his place as the end credit. So she she did get what she deserved. It just took a while. Yeah. Yeah, and that's usually, sometimes that happens where, um, y- you know, somebody might change a manager or an agent or a lawyer or something. And they're like, hey, why does my client not have this thing that they should have? Yeah. Speaking of Giles, we return to the library where Giles is looking a little rough. Between the earthquake and his findings, it's clear he didn't sleep the night before. Buffy comes in and for a moment, Giles looks stunned, stunned and relieved. Whatever happened the previous night, whatever caused that earthquake, Buffy made it through. She calls him out on his appearance after noting the damage in the library and wondering if it's even safe to be in there. And he tells her that he's been working. Okay, well, so was she. She went hunting and the vamps, they're getting bolder. One was practically on school grounds. So maybe that's where Cordelia and her guy, Jajor, were making out, like one of the lots <laughs> near the school. I don't know. She says she's risking her life, that she broke a nail. She's wearing a press on. Given all that, the least he could do is pretend <laughs> to care. Go, hmm, maybe? Giles gives a hmm mm-hmm. that is less than Buffy wanted. And more him just not understanding what she is going on about <laughs> before telling her that he really can't talk right now. It's all right. She needs to go meet her terrible fate. What? That comment gets Giles' attention. Chill, Giles. She's just talking about biology. But now it's pretty clear whatever has our favorite librarian so big, something is going to happen to Buffy. We jump to post-class, where the Scoobies are heading out of the school building, down the steps, and into the courtyard. All three of them lamenting how boring biology was. Even Willow. And she's a nerd. (laughs) Buffy, trying to be a good friend, tells Willow not to say that. That's okay. Willow knows what she is. Besides, it's the computer age and nerds are in. They're still in, aren't they? Oh, Willow. I'm so excited for Willow to reach like the 2010s. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where like nerd culture starts ascending and becoming all the rage because grown up Willow is going to assuredly live her best life. Oh, yeah. Like where it's cool to be a nerd. I mean, she says that in this episode. Yeah. 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 As they reach the bottom of the steps, Xander asks Willow if she doesn't have a thing. A thing? Yeah, a thing. It's super clear to everyone but Buffy that Xander is trying to get some alone time with her. Willow pretends to remember said thing and scampers off leaving the two of them, though Buffy is a bit confused, because what? Xander tells her it's just Willow being Willow and says there's something he wants to talk about. Okay, he asks if they can sit and Buffy starts to become nervous. Clearly, whatever this is, it's important. They approach a bench, one with a kid on it, and Xander tells them to leave, which they do. (laughs) Okay, I mean, I love Xander. But we have been told over and over again how he and Willow are kind of unpopular and losers. So I don't know. I'm pretty sure a more accurate version would have been said kid telling Xander to go screw himself. You know what? That he was sitting there first. I think by this point, they hang around Buffy. Who is like <laughs> in a gang as she's in, a, said. she's in a gang and she got kicked out of her old school for burning down the gym. I think by that they're like you know what they hang around with that girl from Henry I think we're just gonna go and yeah. Buffy is always Buffy always seems to be around the weird things happening yeah I didn't know if it was that or maybe Xander just still has some street cred from being hyena Xander <laughs> I miss hyenas. <laughs> yes, we know, Mary. We know. That's okay. We'll eventually get to vampire. My Xander. favorite Xander is Zeppo Xander. That's my favorite. Zeppo oh, Xander. Zeppo Xander. Is the yeah. Best. Yeah. No, I. We. It's gonna be so fun to talk about vampire Xander. It's just gonna be the whole episode. Is. <laughs> Here's my neck right here. <laughs> 
Anytime. Uh, so I also noticed there's a small plaque on the bench. And I, I understand that that plaque is probably there in real life because it's a stone bench. Yeah. But I like to think it's in memoriam of one of the many, many <laughs> students. Who it's a Jesse. For you, it's a Jesse plaque. Yes, it's a Jesse plaque. plaque. They're going to sit on the Jesse bench and have oh their God. talk. Anytime, anytime they talk about, it was me. It was me and Xander. It was me and Willow. What about Jesse? <laughs> what about Jesse? Justice for poor dead jesse <laughs> don't worry i think i got a merrick rant in here too somewhere <laughs> we're not gonna end this season without me bringing this up one more time as the two sit xander starts to launch into his speech from the previous night before realizing oh god that is not the way to go about this and instead just comes out and asks buffy <laughs> to go to the dance with him as his date buffy tells him she doesn't know what to say she's not laughing so xander says it's a good start he goes on to tell Buffy that he likes her, has feelings for her. They've had some experiences together, like fighting blood-sucking fiends. But he wants more. He wants to dance with her. Okay, 14-year-old Mary, at this point, was, like, probably laying on the ground. <laughs> like, why will nobody say these things to me? I'm pretty sure Jackie probably had to hear about it on the phone afterwards. <laughs> like, why would someone want to be, like, more than fighting vampires with me? Because I think that speech is beautiful, but Buffy doesn't because she starts to try and let him down gently, telling him that he is one of her best friends, him and Willow, which oh, which is fine, but Willow's not trying to date her, or if she is, she's playing it pretty close to the chest. She continues telling him she doesn't want to spoil their friendship, and neither does he, but that's not the point. Point is either you feel something or you don't. And he feels something. Buffy, on the other hand, does not. Though, I, okay, so Sarah's expression in this scene, to me, it was very much that nowadays it would have been the expression you have when you're about to lie to the other person and be like, no, <clears throat> I don't have feelings for you. It's better that we go our own separate ways. And I mean, we know from the story that, like, Buffy didn't have feelings for Xander. Yeah. But that's just what that entire look said to me. I, I mean, I, when, I interpret the look as more of, you know, most people in their lives have been in some sort of messy situation where there's like one person who like likes you, maybe you don't like them or vice versa. And I, I feel like when it, when something like that happens and you're close friends with someone, that look is like, I don't want to lose you as a friend. Like it, you feel this kind of like regret. And yeah. I think these actors played this so well because it's like Nikki Brendan did a good, good job of like being so vulnerable in that moment. And then she did a good job of, of you really feeling like, like um, Buffy feels that she will be pained if she loses Xander as a friend and she hates seeing him sad or disappointed. I've been, I, I was in that position. I was in Buffy's position in college. I had, there was a couple guys that, that liked me and one of them eventually asked me out, but literally the night before my now husband and I got together. So like Mr. Froggy and I got together. I mean, this is the year 2000. And like the next day, like I hadn't even like only my best friend at the time knew Mm-hmm. And then the next day, this one kid asked me out and I'm like, I'm sorry, Nick, I I can't. I'm sorry. You know, like Kevin and I got together like it was just a and it was a big group of friends from college. So yeah. like it was our little our little group. So, yeah, it was so like you just don't know what to say when you're in like like maybe if you would have asked me out like two months ago, it, it would have been 
it would have happened, but if that would have happened, I wouldn't have Mr. Froggy. That's true. So, yeah. you know, things happen for a reason. Yeah. It's fine. Xander gets it. He's not him. Seems like a guy needs to be undead to be worthy of Buffy's attention. <gasps> and while Buffy calls that comment harsh, he's not exactly wrong. I mean, Angel, Spike, Buffy does seem to have a thing <laughs> for the pale biny ones. Yeah. He then apologizes or half apologizes saying he doesn't handle rejection well. Funny because he's had a ton of practice. Buffy tries to talk to him to explain, but he's not ready to hear it. And so walks away, leaving Buffy alone on the bench. And this is kind of what we talked about last week um, in last week's episode with Buffy taking the place of the outsider, paralleling Marcy and, you know, doubting where she belongs in Sunnydale because of Xander and Willow's inside jokes. We are very much returning Buffy to the she alone chosen one status as we build into what's going to happen at the end of this episode. Yeah, because she's seeing what happens when she gets close to people. Yeah, which... And originally, we would have gotten another sign of the impending apocalypse here. The script did call for a rain of stones, but the budget said we can't. (laughs) They did not have a budget for CGI stone rainfall. (laughs) And and so we we can't just... We can't count our actors with stones. (laughs) No one was allowed to stand on the roof and drop them down. So we had to to nix it. The legal department is going through like, is there anything that says that we we are allowed to do stuff? Like, no. No, no stone. Being the person in the legal department who, like, the sometimes they will take a hard stance. Like, if they think, <laughs> if they think your idea is nuts, so we we heard so many nuts ideas. One person was like, "We want to have streaking," and we were like, "No, no, just no." <laughs> legal says no. Legal says no. <laughs> legal was like, mm, no. <laughs> From Buffy, we go back to the library and Giles, who's on the phone with someone, saying he needs to see them and for them to come at sundown. Hmm. Wonder who he could be talking to. While he's on the phone, Jenny enters. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Looking as fantastic as always, she leans against the doorway, waiting for Giles to hang up, before commenting that the clothes he's wearing looks remarkably like the ones he wore the day before. Did he sleep there? He tells her he's really not feeling up to socializing, which is fine because she's not there to socialize. She's there because something's going on and she's fairly certain he already knows what it is. She tells him strange things have been happening all over, like a cat giving birth to a litter of snakes, lakes boiling, and children being born with their eyes inside out. She's not stupid. She knows what this all means. This is apocalypse level stuff. Throw in the earthquake and she's pretty sure they're looking at a major problem. As in, the end is pretty fucking nigh. (laughs) Giles wants to tell her, but he's still unsure if he can trust her. She helped him banish the demon from the internet. Doesn't that earn her a little bit of trust? Besides, she has this monk from Cortona sending her all these emails about the anointed one. I love that they brought the monks (laughs) from Cortona back. Yeah. (laughs) Because it wasn't just any monk. It was monks in Cortona. Yeah, yeah. Which was I Robot You, Jane, the episode where Jenny was introduced. Can we just go back to how she apparently can recognize all the different suits that he wears? Shh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Jenny is just an expert on tweed. <laughs> I do love it's that, though. because she loves him. I know, I she know. does. I, uh, I just, I do love that. Yeah. I just, Giles Jenny. My, my husband was like, so what happens to her? Because I don't remember her from... I've only seen a few episodes, but I don't remember her from later. Like, yeah. It's fine. And you were just like... Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, it's fine, it's fine. No, we're it's on... Fine. We just we just watched... We just watched Surprise. And at the end of Surprise, he was like, so what happens to Angel? I'm like, we have to watch the next episode. I'm not telling you. <laughs> you have to watch It's Evan. called Surprise. Exactly. <laughs> 
name. <laughs> yeah, Kevin. <laughs> uh, Giles is confused, though. The anointed one is supposed to be dead. Who is this monk? Jenny says his name is Brother Luca something, and that he's been sending out all these e-blasts about a prophecy. Giles tells her to talk to Brother Luca and find out everything he knows. Jenny doesn't really appreciate the orders, you know, since Giles has kind of told her jack shit. He snaps at her, telling her to just do it, before realizing that maybe he shouldn't have done yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I like that the monks are sending out emails. Yeah, the monks, the monks are, the monks are like, in on it. Yeah. They, they're down, they're but, down with the, like, but Giles the, is stuck in the Dark Ages. He, the monks who usually are in the Dark Ages. <laughs> Books are tactile. They have memory. Uh, he promises to tell her everything later. And she responds with a, uh, you better. In the hallway, Cordelia walks along with not Mitch. The two of them talking about the dance, which is also going to be at the small child nightclub. Why are all these school functions <laughs> taking place at the small child nightclub? Don't they I know have- that this is kind of like a... You know, they created the bronze to have like a convenient hangout that wasn't the mall because like, you know, it just wouldn't work. That's what I said at one point. Like the purpose of the bronze is just to be a a, Wait. a plot point, a place where right. things can happen. But you know where you could also put all these people who go to school together? In the school? In the school. Because that's why I said like... Like, because Cordelia was getting ready for the coronation in the school. And then they were going to go and to the bronze. And then they were going to go to the bronze. So then again, it goes back to the fact that Marcy had to drag them to the bronze. I, I still have so many questions about yeah. that. Yeah, Whoever's and- running the bronze is like getting kickbacks from the school to be like, yeah, use my place for your function. Well, I, you know, maybe it's Snyder. Maybe he's like, go yeah. trash something else. Don't yeah. trash my school. At the time of this recording, you have not listened to are out of mind. Yeah, where I just go we off just on how like Marcy is this very small person, and how did she <laughs> drag Buffy and Cordelia to the bronze? Yeah, so you'll it's get a small hit. town, I suppose. Well, we talk about that too. Yeah, we, we look at we the map of Sunnydale. Yeah. yeah, we look at the map of Sunnydale and try to figure Jack, out. It's not that small. It's not next door. Yeah, it's... I mean, there's a lot. Like the things are close, but the small when town. When you're like, invisible, that you're stronger, I suppose. <laughs> He tells her he can help her carry things, and she loves that he's being so sweet. Clearly, she's not used to that. And he says it's weird, because he's usually as mean as a snake. Oh, I like not Mitch, which means he's probably going to die. Alas, not Mitch, we shall remember you fondly. Seeing Willow, Cordelia makes her way over, saying she loves her outfit. Willow immediately counters with, no, you don't. Okay, (laughs) she doesn't, but she needs a favor. The bronze won't let them use their sound system, so she needs someone who knows how to hook one up. Any chance she'd be willing to help out tomorrow around 10? Willow agrees, but she's only half paying attention to Cordelia as she's spotted Xander in an empty classroom and has been watching him bounce a tennis ball off the wall and or blackboard. Okay, I'm also now very intrigued as to why the bronze isn't letting, like, if you rent out a place. You, yeah, you usually rent the sound system. I don't know. Whatever. Or you hire a person to do the sound. Yeah. I mean, if you have the money to rent out the bronze, wouldn't you have the money to pay a sound person and wouldn't the school like if the school is renting it out the school would have like arranged her nothing about this makes sense no nothing about this dance makes sense i do want to say though i do want to say though like i love that scene with willow and cordy where cordy's like oh i love your outfit and willow's like no like it's such a great such great growth it is from the beginning where she believed cordelia but now she's just like no Mm, she's so over cordelia's shit (laughs) She really is. And I and I like it. We've seen a lot of growth from both Cordelia and Willow this season. And we're going to see even more throughout this episode. Yeah. 
Willow enters the classroom asking Xander how it went. On a scale of one to ten, it sucked. She's still all hung up on Angel. At least now he knows. Yeah, but hey, he and Willow could go to the dance. She could be his date. It'll be fun. No, Willow isn't going to do that. She asks Xander if he really thinks it would be fun for her to be there with him while he was wishing he was there with Buffy. She'll see him on Monday. I freaking love that moment. I love love it. it. I love it for the same reason you love what she said to Cordelia before. It's like, she's getting some agency now. It's like, she's like, no, I know. Like, I'm not going to be sad that you don't like my outfit and I know you don't like it. And I'm not here to be, you know, your second choice. So I have it in my notes. Like, good girl. Don't have your second choice. But also, is this the first time Willow hints to Xander that she has feelings for him? I think so. Like, like we've be, seen uh, her be sad in the background, but I don't think she's ever said anything to Xander. Yeah, because yeah, most that would yeah, allude to so. that until this moment. Because mostly it's her being supportive of him and being unhappy about it. Yeah, but yeah, I really love this this whole thing for for Willow between yeah. Cordy and Xander. Yeah. Like two things right after another, where she's like, "You're coming to me because you need something from me." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so proud of our baby. Love her. Whatever, it's fine. Xander didn't want to go to the dance anyway. I'll just go home, lay down, and listen to country music. Oh. The music of pain. Oh, Xander. Okay, fun fact. Uh, my country music playlist on Spotify is called The Music, music of Pain. Thank you, Xander Harris. Oh, Xander, get over yourself. Just in the still very dimly lit locker room. <laughs> Buffy pulls a stake from her locker, preparing to go on patrol. Heading over to the sink, she studies her reflection for a moment before turning one on. Only it's not water coming out of the spout, it's blood. Off to the library she goes. You can see in the locker room scene how off Buffy is still feeling, how very much her conversation with Xander upset her, and Sarah's acting just continues to be aces. And we're just, we're going to keep going on that train because we're going into the library. Oh. She mutters to herself about how Giles is not going to believe this before stopping short because it's not just Giles in the library. It's Angel. Angel, who she has presumably not seen since their last encounter at the bronze. At first, she's a bit excited because it's Angel. He's there. But as she draws closer, she realizes his visit is not a happy one. He and Giles arguing over the codex, the prophecy, Angel telling Giles that he must have read it wrong. He wishes he had or that the codex was like other prophecies, a bit dodgy, but it's not. There is nothing written in there that has not come to pass. And so tomorrow night, Buffy will face the master. And when she does, she will die. What follows next is one of the most heartbreaking two minutes and 36 seconds in television history. The screen goes black as during this airing, this would have been a commercial break. And when we're back in the library, basically the same moment that we left, Buffy's still standing in the doorway She's laughing. She wanders out into the main room, her laughter quickly turning to tears. She knows the drill, remembers how it goes. One slayer dies and the next is called. She wonders who she is. Will Giles train her? Will they send someone else? Does it say how he's going to kill her? Will it hurt? That right there. uh... That is the moment that I die. Yeah. When her voice breaks. It becomes softer. The question is all but a whimper. And that is the moment I can feel my heart being ripped apart. Angel goes to try and comfort her, but she doesn't want it. Doesn't want to be touched. Were they even going to tell her? 
Giles explains that he was hoping they wouldn't have to. That he would be able to figure out a way around it. Yeah? She has a way around it. She quits. (laughs) Angel tells her it's not that simple. And she says she's making it that simple. (laughs) She's done. Someone else can stop the master. Only they're not sure someone can. All the signs. The signs? She picks up a book and throws it at Giles' head. Read her the signs. Tell her her fortune. If my heart breaks out, will it hurt? This is the moment where I'm like, just dump all the Emmys on Sarah. (laughs) Just give them to her. This delivery of the lines, this this whole scene. Angel tells her that he knows. He knows what she's feeling and he knows nothing. He's not going to die. Okay, I mean, well, well, technically, he he did. But whatever. He tells Buffy that he doesn't want anything to happen to her, that he doesn't think he could stand it if he did. And I'm like, okay, buddy, come on. Let's go back to what we talked about last week. Three cryptic conversations, two makeout sessions, and a near fight to the death. I think he needs to pump the brakes a bit. Not the point. (laughs) He tells her they just need to figure out a way to stop it. Charity figured out a way. She quit, remember? Keep up. Giles rises to tell Buffy that they can't let the master rise, but she doesn't care. She's 16. She doesn't want to die. <sighs> Is it just me or does Anthony look like he's about to start crying? He he does. Like he like and that like I can hear her in my head. Like I'm 16 years old. I don't want to die. die. Like the way that she delivers that is so good. Tossing it, her- it was an Emmy winning performance. And the the sad thing about, you know, both teen television and fantasy television is that it does it. It almost, I mean, now fantasy television is getting recognized, but teen television does not get recognized. Um, Fantasy television rarely gets recognized. No, and like her, and I've I've said it before, like she delivers such nuanced performances through the whole thing. Like her face acting, just her expressions are enough. And like this whole scene is so good. And it's such a shame that it wasn't recognized. If this was Felicity, this would have been an Emmy winning performance. Yeah. It's the fact that it's a show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer that that this did not get oh, yeah. some yeah. kind of Emmy yeah. nod. You, you have angsty, you know, college girl. Chopping off her hair. Chopping off her hair. I don't actually oh. know if Felicity got an, uh, an, an Emmy no, or was nominated yeah, for one. Yeah. But I'm just, same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying it as a matter of like, oh, you know, yeah, no. you, if it were right. a different type of show. And yeah. I do think, I do think, you know, Buffy walked so shows like Game of Thrones could run. Yeah, it's like yeah. if you're, yeah. now you're a fantasy show with a big budget and a lot of like prestige actors. Okay. But it's, and now they're willing to say, okay, well, you know, we'll give you the Emmy, but it's like all these shows that came before it where these people acted their hearts out and didn't, didn't get recognized. Yeah. And, and like people, people like when I was watching it in the nineties, you know, you say you watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer and people scoff at you like, oh, why are you watching that? Like, yeah, I watch other things, but this show just has so much. Like it has a girl my age, like literally I was 16 too. Like I was the same age as Buffy. So seeing this girl who is my age going through all of this, Mm -hmm. plus the regular teenage angst, it was just so good. And it and as a woman watching it, it feels good to be watching a show about teenagers where they don't make the teenagers melodramatic for no reason. Yeah. A lot of these shows, like I I just couldn't get into shows like Dawson's Creek because I'm like, no, why are these people yeah. so upset? Like, what is going like like you want to live in a big house by a lake or creek or whatever the yeah, fuck? Yeah, like all of these, all of these teen shows where it was just rich white people crying. Yeah. Rich white teens that like, what problems are you having? Like, like the bad And I do, I mean, Buffy does have a race problem in that, like they oh, do yeah. have a lot of diverse casting, but 
they showed people face like they showed them facing scary things. They showed them facing realistic things. I mean, you have a lot of like plot lines about like divorce or oh, abuse yeah. Yeah. or well, that's, like so many like this whole first season has so many heavy. Yeah, we talk about like, how dark this season yeah. really is. But yeah, so like the race thing, one, that was a problem of like 90s television in general, because we weren't as actively conscious of how diverse we should have been. Two, that was a network problem because uh, the creator originally wanted a black actress for Cordelia. And they were told that if he did that, he could not show an interracial relationship. And he fought with the network for a while. And then he gave up because he did not want to be limited creatively. He's like, I need to be able to mix up this friend group however I want. And I can't have you telling me that I can't put these two characters together because of who plays them. You know, I was just thinking about this, like, like after you had, we had talked about this the other night, like, I feel like that's why Zoe and Wash on Firefly mm-hmm. were he was thing. like, hmm. He's like, I can now do this, so I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. do it. Yeah, but no, he originally wanted a African-American actress for yeah. Cordelia, and apparently the WB said no. Didn't the WB, didn't they make them have Willoughby quote-unquote gay we, yeah. later on instead oh, of bi? Yes. You we guys talk said about that. that. Yeah. yeah, I talk about that in the first episode. I am going to later down the road infuriate half the internet by dedicating an entire episode to Willow's sexuality and why she is bisexual. Yeah, because oh, she's hands down bisexual. I mean, this is like, it's it's absurd that then they are like, oh, you have to be relegated to to this one thing, you yeah, know? Yeah, but yeah, basically he was told to pick a lane and he was like, well, fuck you. Yeah. Just date a woman. Because Mary, Mary and I, we had a whole big, we had a whole oh, big. Bisexuality doesn't exist. Yeah, like, because mm. I'm, I'm married to a man, but I'm still bisexual. Yeah. Mary is yeah. with a woman. Still, still bisexual. bisexual. Like, so. <laughs> <laughs> we apparently are mythical creatures are. that do not actually exist. I know. So, Jackie, you're talking to yourself. <laughs> no, I know. I just, uh, I just, you know, it's like, it's it's exciting to see how far we've come, but also sad to see how far we still have to go with some yeah. things, you know? Oh, yeah. Our fight is far from over. Yeah. Tossing her cross to the ground, she walks out. Okay. So, we need to talk about this in reference to Slayer lore, in reference to the movie, and in reference to the pilot, because this is technically the third time Buffy has quit. She quit after Merrick died. She quit in the pilot and she's quitting now. But this tone is very, very different than the other two. Because I mean, like, yes, the movie, she was heartbroken. And even when you go back and, and you're looking at the events of the movie in the retcon, she was heartbroken. She was done. She couldn't do this without Merrick. And she just, she just wanted to be a normal girl. And that carried on into the pilot where she was like, I, I'm in a new school. I, I thought I was going to be late. That I would have last month's hair. I don't want to worry about vampires. I'm done. I'm retired. Both of those were from this sense of like, I just want to be normal. I'm done. This is, I don't want to die. Yeah. And and it's, it's so interesting to me that she just, she mentions the like, who is she? Will you train her? When she herself has gone through a change of watcher. And I'm like, does she, because we never see Buffy ask about the girl who came before. Yeah. And I'm like, does she ever think about like who had to die for her? I mean, we know. Yeah. We know it was India Cohen, but like who had to die for her to become the Slayer? And it's like, and I know like we've seen some of the historical girls think about it because there was this Slayer in Germany who knew that her predecessor died alone. And that was the one thing she told her watcher, like, I don't want to die alone. I'm terrified of dying alone. And then her like watcher abandons her to the nest of vampires. I'm like, how how awful is that to know that some girl just like 
like you yeah. died so that you fulfill your destiny. So you fulfill you you are fulfilling your destiny because something was bigger, faster, stronger than the girl who came before. And you go out every night knowing that somewhere along the line something is going to be bigger, faster, stronger than yeah. you. I love that they get into kind of because because you're also touching on it's like she's been called for this calling that she didn't even choose. So I love it in later seasons when she basically tells the whole Watchers Council, well, F you guys because yeah. you're making all the decisions for my life, you know? Yeah, well, and I like, and one of the things I love about the show is you know, it's it's the beginning of her F you where it's like, these are my friends. They make me better. They help me out. Like, I am not giving up these people. Mm-mm. Like, they are my family. I need them. Like, you you want me to give up. Like, if they had their way, she would leave her mom. But she doesn't because that's the only... That's her link to being normal. There's, like, so much we can say about the Watcher's Council. And we're going to talk about it a lot because, like, there's the whole theory. We'll talk about it a lot when we get to season three. But since we're just talking about, like, the Slayer and stuff here. The theory that the Acruciamentum is meant to kill the Slayer. Because as they get older, they're not as easy to control. Yeah. And that's why they put the Slayer through a horrible test, powerless at 18, hoping that it will kill them. That's actually a really good theory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the thing with that, though, with her is she, you know, she's not, she's technically dead. So I don't know why they would do that to her because uh, if she dies, no, other, it's like only a faith dies at that point does another yeah. Slayer get called. A lot of things get weird from here on, like the fact that Buffy is still put through the Cruciamentum, even though she's technically not the official Slayer at that yeah. point. Yeah, right. And Faith is older than Buffy, and we never hear of Faith going through the Cruciamentum. They're, they're, yes. they're, they're the sleigh team. Stop it! Go to your corner! <laughs> She's been making puns all day, and I'm mad at her. Go to your corner. We're talking about Willow now. Go to your corner. Okay, I'm going. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> in her room, Willow sits at her desk, presumably doing homework. I don't know. She's flipping through a book of some kind. She then spots the picture of her and Xander on her desk and reaches for the phone. Leading into a shot of Xander laying on his bed and listening to <sighs> I Fall to Pieces by Patsy Cline. Oh. Could you get more dramatic? As, like, like, yeah, there's country music and then there's Patsy Cline. <laughs> His phone rings and he picks up the receiver before slamming it back down and then taking the phone off the hook. He wishes to be alone with his pain. Oh, he's such a dramatic Victorian woman there. Yes. Well, Buffy is also being dramatic because she wishes to be alone with her memories. Sitting on her bed, flipping through a photo album, Joyce enters and asks Buffy if everything's okay. Yeah, sure, she's fine. Turning to face her mother, she suggests the two of them go away, just for a little while. It'll be a mother-daughter bonding thing, and they can talk about all the embarrassing stuff Joyce loves to bring up. Joyce gently reminds her that the gallery is open on weekends, and isn't the prom tomorrow, or spring fling, whatever they call it. (laughs) And I love how conflicted Joyce looks. Like, yes, she would love to take her teenage daughter up on this rare moment of wanting to bond with her, but she also knows something is wrong, and that Buffy's attempting to run away from something. And this isn't a lesson she wants to teach her daughter. Like, obviously she doesn't know how severe a thing Buffy is attempting to run away from. But she's kind of like, we don't run away from our problem. Also, Joyce, no one cares when the gallery is open. You make your money art smuggling. Your uh, your hours are weird. (laughs) I love this art smuggling thing (laughs) that Dylan started. It's the only thing that makes sense. I mean, yeah, you're allowed to take like 
expensive artifacts at home. Maybe that's why eventually she's she gets that like cursed mask or whatever, because the people are like, hey, stop smuggling our art. Stop stealing our stuff. Now you get zombies. <laughs> oh my God. If you want zombies, that's how you get zombies. Oh my God. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for Dead Man's Party. That's... <laughs> Buffy confirms that yes, the dance is the next night. And I'm beginning to think that maybe this is the same dance as the previous episode because Harmony mentioned prom pictures when talking to Cordelia and Joyce just mentioned prom. And that means Cordy went and replaced Mitch because he wasn't going to look good in the pictures. <laughs> I mean, also this guy has a better personality. Yeah, yeah. Also, maybe maybe Mitch decided he's not going because yeah. he was brutally attacked. And apparently, also, I do have a note here that in the script when they're in the car and Cordelia's doing the like, who's that? She originally had a line in there was like, I can't be grounded. I'm the May Queen. So same dance. Yeah. Joyce asked if the problem is no one asked her. And Bubby says, no, someone asked her, just not the right someone. Joyce does sometimes pay attention. Of course, that might make her timing a bit awkward as she opens Buffy's closet to reveal a white dress, a dress she saw Buffy eyeing in the store. I'm just like, Joyce, what if she had gone into her closet before you got to do like the <laughs> dramatic reveal? <laughs> She's an know. art smuggler. She knows everything. She knows how to smuggle stuff in. I don't know. Maybe Joyce was hoping she'd like open the closet and be like, what? Yeah, yeah. Like she would open the closet and see it. And yeah. maybe there's like a secret passage behind Buffy's. Maybe that's why they bought that house. Oh, oh. Well, Angel should have been making better use of that when he was hiding in the closet. But then. Buffy didn't know about it. Oh, okay. Only so, Joyce knows yeah, about it? Yeah, oh, like okay. it's it's hidden. It's, you know, there's it's a secret for a reason, Mary. Okay. okay. <laughs> Buffy tells her mom they can't afford it and Joyce assures her they can because she's an art smuggler. <laughs> <laughs> She thinks Buffy should wear it, go to the dance, and enjoy herself. Buffy tries to say she can't, but Joyce asks why. Is it written somewhere? She tells Buffy how her freshman year of college, she didn't have a date to the homecoming, but she went anyway, and yes, it was awful, for about an hour. Then she met Buffy's dad, who did have a date, and that is a very funny story that Buffy will never be hearing. Oh, no. Buffy says it must have been nice, the two of them, having their whole lives ahead of them, and just, Buffy, stop! My oh. heart, it hurts. And your mom doesn't know just how difficult this is. I know. And I, I just, I love Joyce in the scene. Like this whole conversation between the two of them. Joyce is getting all the mom points. Like all of them. Joyce is such a good mom. She really, she really is a good is. mom. She is. And I feel so jealous. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, they're... There, there are moments in like end of season two, beginning of season three, like Joyce, we got to have a talk. But again, Joyce had also just like dealt with her daughter just like up and going off to live somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. But like, it just, but yes, Joyce here is just, she is. She's a, And like, for not like, for not knowing what her daughter is going through. Yeah. And, like she knows her daughter is going through something yeah but like and just the way she's still so supportive of her is like Joyce is the best. and she wanted to come to the talent show yeah Joyce like they, the they have their they have their moments but you know we move to the next morning where Cordelia and Willow have gone to pick wait, up wait but I love that dress I just want to mention oh that. we want to talk okay. about yes. yeah let's yes. talk about the dress I have a whole thing I actually it. really really love that dress it's probably one of the most beautiful and iconic things of the series and yeah. I love it that she's wearing it with like a leather jacket because it she has these two sides her personality she has like a kick-ass side but then she has like a I love fashion side and that's so. that's one thing that I mentioned like I love Buffy because she kicks ass but she still like looks so cute she's so pretty like she's so pretty like you get to see the balance of both of those yeah. sides and Sarah Michelle Gellar got to keep the dress she posted a and while back yes, yes. In, in the still. dress yeah with the with the well, I don't know if it's the same jacket but like with a jacket and I was just like I hate you oh. Oh. <laughs> 
I mean, you look fabulous. I hate you. Yeah. And also like that the the white dress under the leather jacket is the same look as the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm sure that was very intentionally done. And I I just, I really like that little throwback. We move to the next morning where Cordelia and Willow have gone to pick up the AV equipment from the school. Cordelia explains how Kevin, okay, not Mitch's name is Kevin. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Was supposed to bring everything to the bronze the night before, but yet never sewed. See, I knew it. Something happened. Poor not Mitch. Farewell, not Mitch. Willow tries to explain that maybe he just forgot, but Cordy stops her. Oh, she's not mad. It's weird. He flaked on her and yet she finds it cute the two of them approach the door to see the av room cordelia peeks in to see what appears to be two people watching cartoons oh that's cute no no, no wait it's not cute it's annoying. annoying i'm she's annoyed, annoyed. <laughs> i love that you still remember all these lines oh um, my gosh i was watching it and i was like oh i've seen this so many times i know all the lines it's crazy <laughs> i'll get to your favorite line in a little bit because i know it's like your favorite line of the entire series cordy you may want to pay more attention to the television and the bloody handprint that is adorning it the audience is given a peek inside the room showing every everyone to be dead right before Cordy opens the door and not Mitch's body comes tumbling out two puncture wounds on his neck dropping to her knees Cordy calls his name trying to see if he'll wake up as Willow takes a step closer into the room and it's clear what she sees horrifies her so two things about this one according to Allison there are apparently two versions of this scene there's the one that was shown on American television and there's a much bloodier one that was shown on European television which I find very weird because it was BBC that cut the beheading scene mm. in the pilot but now they have the bloodier version of I don't know I don't understand yeah, how- usually that's not my I, my friend um, my friend uh, lives in she's French and she lives in Paris and the, she used to have a job working for one of the network shows in Paris and her job was literally to watch American shows and write suggestions for what to take out for a French audience and a lot of it had to do with violent content and the reason she quit the job because she said our television was too violent for her and she had nightmares oh so yeah um, a lot know, maybe maybe Alice they, got it I, it seems we yeah because it would seem like they would de-bloody it for a European audience. Yeah, but yeah, so apparently there are two versions of the scene. Also, in Nightmares, we talked about Xander standing up to the clown, how that was his first step. This is Willow's. Yep. This is where Willow sees that like, yeah, I mean, she's seen that these things are real, but this is a room where these people, this room she goes into every day, and these people that she knows, she has been, this is basically where Willow's innocence dies. Yeah. You can see it. I think this as the audience, this is where our innocence dies too. Because like, I think up until this point, you know, with a side, I mean, Marcy is a person. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, but for the most part, they're fighting some, like they're fighting some sort of something elsewhere that's demonic, but seeing students slaughtered in a in a space you go to every day like very shocking one student is not as bad like we always get there's one student died well and i mean and it was played for laughs in the pilot like jim is canceled due to the extreme dead guy in the locker yeah and even but even all the other dead people that we had like it's always just one person is attacked it's an isolated thing that happens but this is the first time where it's like oh my god plus willow like she said she goes to that room she hangs out there she could have been one of the people other than darla i think this is the first time we have seen vampires invade the school yes i think so yeah Mm -hmm. we see darla do it in the pilot and darla do it when she's spying on buffy and willow yeah this is the first time we have seen vampires enter the school and yeah and kill yeah yeah so yeah i think you're right i think this is like where the audience along with willow shit's real 
Yeah, yeah. Like, you're supposed to be safe from the vampires. At the- yeah. Like- and I do think that Willow as a character, I feel like I read this somewhere, is like a lot of shows you have, whereas you can relate to multiple characters in multiple shows, but in some shows, like, you'll have one character that, like, this character is the stand-in for, for what the audience like that might be the audience member. Mm-hmm. And I think Willow becomes that relatable character because she doesn't she doesn't have superpowers. I mean, until we get to that later on, but she's just like the nerdy resourceful friend. And so you kind of like Xander and Willow become your stand-ins for the yeah. audience. So when they feel these like intense moments of pain, it's like something that the audience would feel. So that moment when when Willow, you know, loses her innocence here, we as the audience, like that's us, that's our stand-in. Yeah. So yeah. like we feel that moment with her. Okay, so here's something interesting. Now that like Jackie's gotten me down this road, because <laughs> I would argue that yes, it's Willow, but it's even more it's Xander because Xander never gets powers. Xander remains human, strictly human, yet still in this fight. Yeah. Which is funny why why you know you always say on your podcast that uh people hate xander i don't actually hate xander i find it i mean and i'm not attracted to him either i just i find xander a very comforting character in the sense that to me he's a very realistic person yeah yeah like he goes through like a lot of things that regular people would probably go through in given the same scenario at the same age he's surrounded by all these people that clearly at one point he has felt inferior to yeah at every turn and yet he stays i mean willow's going to destroy the world and he goes up there to be like fine you want to you you go through me and takes that chance and like the thing that i the thing i love about about xander too is even when he's feeling his most like dramatic dramatic like his most like i don't like what am i doing here like i am around all these people they make sure that he knows that he is part of the team. And, you know, sometimes... And, and, and I mean, that's what Jackie was talking about. Yeah. The, the, the Watcher's Counselor speech where they're like, the boy, no power there. And she's like, he's clocked more field time than all y'all. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's he's there. I mean, and he always, he's like, okay, what can I do? Yeah. Like, and I mean, it. a lot of times it's played for laughs. It's like, oh, go talk to Cordelia. Uh, You know, nope, I am going to do something else. Yeah. But he, they always make sure that... Yeah. And as he grows, as a human and not even having any powers he gets stronger and just yeah it's easier for him to fight oh like, yeah he just puts it all out there oh yeah do you know no, why yeah. people hate xander like do you know uh, why that i is? mean i know that we're in some of the same buffy groups on facebook so i'm surprised you haven't seen these like posts where people are like xander is like the worst character in the series he's toxic masculinity at its worst he thought he was like owed Buffy, broke Cordelia's heart. And I was like, cool, cool. Let, no, no. See, that's the thing is like, I feel two different things, two different things here. One, one thing is like you as an audience member can... I I hate it when people watch TV shows and they they like I want to see a perfect like world mirrored in here. It's like you're not gonna watch like television is not interesting unless the characters are human and messy. It's just flat out not gonna be interesting. Well, that's and and I find that Xander like it's funny that they say he's toxic masculinity. I do understand that some of the jokes that not just him but all of the characters make are off color, like coming like looking back to the nineties. Yeah. But, you know, there in what's 
this episode, if you had a toxic masculine character, you would not have him go to to Angel's house to say, hey, we got to go save this girl who just broke my heart. Yeah. Yeah. If he was he to- chooses to stay and be her friend instead of I don't think he lords it over her. I don't think. No. I mean, I don't see that in him at all. I think he just stays because he's like, these are my friends, you know, a toxic- and a toxic mas- masculine character wouldn't go home and lay on his bed listening to Patsy Cline. No, like it's over traumatic, like, but it's not it, toxic like, masculine. It, like if he was toxic, like, yeah, he, he plays into the nice guy, you know, trope, but he doesn't overdo it. He doesn't become, oh, well, he doesn't, he never acts like Buffy owes him, owes no. him anything. Like, he yeah, I don't he gets, think he's even the nice guy trope either. Yeah. It's like he, he has, you know, it's like he has these very messy, this messy relationship with Cordelia it's like he has a messy relationship with Anya where he leaves her at the altar it's he he, he's just messy he's just a human he's just a messy human being and like I see you see a lot of times too like when you talk about interesting villain like you can't talk about a villain being interesting without somebody telling you that you're a bad person for liking and like liking a villain like oh yeah like Loki, it's just, I got that a lot. Oh, and yeah. now he has a series. Yeah. When when Loki first appeared on Thor, I was like, this is an interesting character. And I actually feel bad for him because his entire race was like slaughtered. And then he found out yeah. like as an adult that that happened and that his like life is a fraud. And so, of course, he's upset. And people were like, why do you like the villain? I'm like, they made an interesting an backstory interesting, for this character. It's an interesting villain. Like, yeah, you can like interesting villains without saying, oh, well... Everything they do is right. Like, you're not yeah. saying that. Like, they do bad things, but it's still a well-written thing. Look, I have, like, flashbacks to the Harry Potter fandom because how dare you like Snape? <laughs> yeah. That means you want to, like, abuse children. Oh, we could have a whole podcast just on oh, our I'm, rants about... I'm sorry. I'm a Snape stan forever because that's Alan Rickman and oh, he's yeah. my exactly. boy. Exactly. 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 And you know what? People people say, oh, well, you only like Snape because Alan Rickman. Like, yeah, what of it? I liked Snape before he was <laughs> Alan Rickman. The man is a brilliant actor. Or was. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. He'll cut your heart out with a spoon. <laughs> today, we, today we watched him as a depressed robot. Yeah, we watched Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh. <laughs> Buffy's in her room trying on her dress when Joyce comes rushing in. Something about the news and Willow. We immediately switch to Willow's room. Willow is sitting on against her headboard, knees tucked to her chest. She said she's seen so much that she thought she could handle anything. But what she saw in there, she knew those guys. She went into that room every day. But walking in there that morning, it no longer felt like their world. It felt like a world belonging to the vampires. What they did in there, they did because it was fun. Here you go. You know who else you knew, Willow? You knew who else was killed by vampires having fun? Jesse. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Jesse. We're getting you a Justice for Jesse t shirt, Mary. (laughs) Oh my God. There's Amanda's next t shirt for us. One for Jesse and one for Merrick. Justice for Jesse and Merrick. Willow um, asks what they do now and Buffy tells her what we have to before standing. Seeing Willow, seeing the pain and the fear in her eyes, Buffy knows she can't leave her or anyone she cares about to the mercy of the master. She may not like what is coming, but she needs 
to face it. Making Willow promise to stay in and to take care, Buffy leaves, but not before Willow comments on her dress. I love that Buffy just went over to Willow's in the dress because that is exactly what any of us would have done. It would have been like, oh, okay, well, let me just throw my coat over my formal wear and trek over to whoever's house. I'm on the way to the dance, but I have to stop by my friend's house. Down in the master's lair, he can feel the barrier weakening as he sends the annoying one off to meet the slayer. Meanwhile, Giles is gathering weaponry as Jenny tries to make sense of all he told her. And most of it tracks, except the part where Buffy is the slayer. She's so little. (laughs) Giles asks if she was able to get a hold of Brother Luca, and she says, no, no one can. He disappeared. But he did send out one last e-blast, one referencing the book of Isaiah. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lay down with the young goat and the calf, and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. I'm sorry, can we just talk about how monks are sending out e-blasts? I did, yeah! That's what I said before! (laughs) Sometimes you need to send your e-blast, Maggie. And he's like... Here's my dooming prophecy blast. <laughs> but like, like it's so hilarious because Giles is so anti-technology. But here are the monks. We are sending e-blast. Yeah, if the monks can e-blast, Giles, you can figure it out. Like, I'm just getting images. Everyone leave Giles alone. <laughs> hey, you know I love Giles. <laughs> leave Giles alone. <laughs> I'm going to make the TikTok of the Britney video. Oh, God. But yeah, the monk, just just thinking about, and and thinking about Luca sending out the e-blast and then being like, that's it. I'm gone. Peace out. Peace out. World's going to end. I'm going to go to an island, drink some margaritas. I mean, I assumed the, like, reference there was that, like, Brother Luca was horribly murdered. But maybe he's in the Bahamas drinking his pina colada. It's like the world's ending. I'm going to do things. I he's either horribly things. murdered or on a fabulous vacation. Yeah. It's one of the two. There's no in between. Yeah. Like he's spending the last days that he has last hours <laughs> with a drink with a little umbrella in it. The brother Luca thinks the anointed one is a child. It's possible if the Buffy vampire killed truly wasn't the anointed one. Why okay. did they assume this man was the anointed one when there was a bus full of people? I don't understand. <laughs> um, Just because he said it? Because he was spouting, like, crazy religious stuff about, like, thy sword of justice. Yeah, like, the whole beginning, Mm. the whole beginning of the series, there was so much Christian, Catholic, with ideology, with the vampires. Yeah, it was really weird. Like, the vampires are basically holding mass, and it's it's very strange. Yeah, there was some, like, it was all this, like, weird black mass stuff. Yeah, but, like, yeah, he was, like, spouting all the crazy stuff. And, I mean, I guess you assume the anointed one's gonna be a warrior of the master. And you see this guy who's obviously, like, military militia. That's true. Plus, they never saw the anointed one. He was never, the kid was never taken to the funeral home. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was taken straight from the bus to the master. The master. So then they have to warn her. No, no, they don't. Giles has no intention of involving Buffy. He will go and face the master himself. Giles. Giles, we've done this. We had a watcher decide they were going to go face the Vampire King instead of Buffy. And what happened, Giles? You remember the guy- Justice for Merrick. You remember remember (laughs) the guy that you replaced? Yeah, like, how did you get this job, Giles? You wouldn't have this job unless the guy before you decided, huh, I'm going to go fight the Vampire King myself. Uh. Like, it really, really bothers me. That, and I, I know you guys know this because I know I've said this all season <laughs> long. But it really bothers me that they don't have Giles and Buffy have a conversation about Merrick. Because yeah. there there is a conversation to be had there. Yeah. And I just, oh, like I, her, just, I want her, it really bad. Her at least saying something like, I can't lose you like I lost him. Like yeah, something. yeah, or like like I said in the pilot episode when she's like, and he's saying something about like the sun. She's like, well, <laughs> talk to the last guy who had a job. 
Like, just like some offline yeah. delight. But yeah. No, he won't. Buffy enters the library, still rocking the former wear. She's picked up the leather jacket. I love this look. I love this look so much. We've already talked about it. It's a great <laughs> throwback to the movie. She says she's looking for a kid, huh? Giles tells her that he won't send her out there to die. That he's made up his mind. Yeah, well, so has she. Well, he made up his mind first. <laughs> he's older and wiser, and he needs Buffy to just do as she's told for once. Buffy tells him that's not how this works. You should you expect slayer. Buffy, who has never done what she's told, to Buffy do what just, she's told? She's very bad at doing what she's told, but she's very good at doing what she does. She's the Slayer. This is her responsibility. Giles says nothing she can say will convince him this is a good idea. She knows, which is why she punches him, knocking him unconscious. Jenny rushes to Giles' aid as Buffy retrieves her silver cross and the crossbow from the table. Jenny reminds her that if she goes out there, she'll die. Most likely, but maybe she'll take the master with her. Outside, Buffy wanders a bit until she hears a child, the annoying one, asking for help. It's okay, she tells him. She knows who he is. She puts his hand in his and the two walk off. Okay, I have a lot of thoughts about this <laughs> and about how prophecies work. Mary has thoughts? Okay, we've seen Buffy defy prophecies before. So, like, why not shoot the annoying one with a crossbow and be done with it? If she suits him, can't lead her to the master, and she doesn't die. Like, if she still faces the master, it would be under different circumstances and therefore not bound by the prophecy. Also, I don't think she's been... At this point, she has not defied a prophecy, correct? Um, it's not till later on that that happens. Well, I, I guess they thought she did because they thought she did with the annoying one prophecy, but it turned out she didn't. So yes, yeah. you are correct. I um, think, I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, you know, like one of those things where it's a newer, she's a new, like still pretty young. I guess yeah. not young for a slayer, but still pretty young. Well, I mean, she's and, only uh, in her second year of being a slayer. I mean, most yeah, slayers. So she's still pretty young. And I think her strategy was like, okay, if this guy is going to take me to that guy, take me to the master, then I can kill the master because I don't know where he is. Um, so and I thought they knew because they went to go get Jesse from the tunnels. Like they know. Yeah, but I don't where. think they knew exactly where he I was. I don't think they got to the master because I think they found Jesse in like, the- like, like, yeah, he was, he was chained up along the way yeah, to like, like distract them. Yeah. So like, they but, knew- like she knew what tunnels led down there. Yeah, but I think I she's using, I mean, this is just my guess. I think she's using the annoying one to get her to the master because the master makes that comment of like, if you never would have come here, you are the person who sets me free. Yeah. So I think that's the moment where she realizes I made a strategic error thinking that I was just going to come down here and kill this guy like because I finally found him. So that's my other thing. It's like, did it have to be this night? Like, couldn't she have gone the previous night when she found out about the prophecy and just searched the tunnels till she found the master and then staked him and be like, what? You didn't see that coming? And yes, I know what I just did. <laughs> but it's like an Oedipus thing, Mary. It's like everything, you know, it's like that circular yeah, logic where yeah. like, what if you did that other thing, you know? Yeah, no, it, like like you said, the master's going to say it's basically a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, right? like it, it Oedipus ha- was always He's destined to murder his father and marry his mother, like, even though he tried to to defy the prophecy. Oh, Oedipus. We can't get away from Oedipus. (laughs) This is why they performed it. Is this why they performed it in the talent show? Oh, maybe. Oh, maybe the writers were like, hey, hey, prophecies. Yeah. Now, now. And you guys, that, that, um. That scene is on Hulu, like when you watch yes. it on Hulu. Yeah, it on yeah, Hulu? it okay. is on Hulu because when we, because even like when I was, when I rewatched it this time. I watched like, it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, so, so I watched, yeah, I watched it on Hulu this time, but like every time before, like, cause I hadn't watched it in years. So I was like, yeah. 
Did I did I dream that they were doing Oedipus? It's on the DVDs too. Yeah. I uh, what's funny is because I hadn't seen that scene until I bought the DVDs. Yeah. Because I watched everything like a lot of that first season in reruns over the summer. Later on. Yeah, yeah. Because this was your first episode. Yeah. It's a good first episode. Yeah. Well, that I mean, honestly, I don't think if I would maybe if I had seen Welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest, I might have sticked through it, but. Some of these scenes and some of these uh, episodes in season one, I really am not crazy about. I don't know if like I saw Teacher's Pet first. Maybe I wouldn't. <gasps> no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of them are like this is this is one of those seasons where like some of them are really, really good. And then there's. Yeah, really there's some that are a little, a little hit or miss. Yeah. But yeah, no, if Teacher's Pet was the first one. <laughs> yeah, Teacher's Pet was the first one I saw. I would have turned yeah, around and been like, yeah, nope, no. nope it out of this show. Well, that's what made me nope out of Archie. I was like, I do not want to see like sexy teacher student shit. I don't. No, no. I was, I was talking more about the giant bug. Yeah, she's oh. a giant bugs. In the library, Xander and Willow have arrived and Xander is not happy. What do they mean Buffy's gone alone to fight the master? How could Giles let this happen? Giles points to the ice pack he is holding up to his jaw <laughs> as evidence that he most assuredly did not let this happen. <laughs> Jenny tries to explain about what the master rising will mean, but Xander doesn't care. All he cares about is saving Buffy. Giles says they don't even know where Buffy went. True, they don't, but he knows how to find out. So somewhere in this conversation, Xander refers to Giles as Locutus of Borg. Locutus of Borg. All right, go on. (laughs) Explain, resident Star Trek expert. Uh, Locutus of Borg is from Star Trek The Next Generation. It is actually Captain Picard, who was taken by the Borg and turned into basically somebody to be the leader because he had all of his military knowledge and he was used against the Federation. It's a really odd reference. It is. Yeah. It's, it's. I mean, it sounded good, but it's just, it's a very odd reference. Yeah. It doesn't like really fit. Like, usually they're better about that. Yeah. Like, it, you, like, yeah, it's not really the best reference they could make at that point. In the tunnels, Buffy now alone walks through them. Or I guess she's not alone because the annoying one shows back up later, but I didn't see him in the scene. Crossbow at the ready. She follows the light towards the master's lair. As she disappears through an opening, we move to Angel's apartment, where Xander is knocking on the door. How did Xander know where Angel lives? <laughs> no one knows where Angel lives. Not even Buffy's been to his place yet. So I'm ranting about this while doing my episode notes. And Panda, who, after joking a bit about following the flyers Angel has put up for his broody vampire support group, suggested the following. I don't know. He put a copy of Interview with the Vampire on a string and dragged it through the streets of Sunnydale. Thanks for coming out. Needless to say, it took me a few minutes to recover from that one. But it's just like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like Boondock Saints. Just drag Interview with the Vampire through the streets of Sunnydale. Thanks for coming out. Oh, God. But, like, seriously, how does... No, no one knows where Angel lives. My only guess is that Giles actually knows where he lives, and he keeps an address book that is, like, written out because he doesn't like computers, and that Xander looked it up in the Giles' address book. I that mean, that, that makes sense. That's as much a sense yeah, as anything's going to yeah, make right like, now. Like, yeah, because Giles, at this the end of the season, has been working with... Angel. Angel. About so, the prophecy. Yeah. So yeah, it is possible Giles does know like, let where... me let me put you let me put you down in my book. Like, that's, like, that's literally I all think he knew Angel's phone number. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So there we go. I think I think he's in his address book. Yep, there you go. Xander does ask if he can come in, but only as a formality as he kind of busts his way in without waiting for an answer. He tells Angel that Buffy's gone, that she went to fight the master. Angel says he'll kill her, and Xander says, Well, that's what he wants to prevent. 
Only Angel sees it as pointless. The master will kill Xander before Xander even has a chance to breathe. Xander doesn't care. He has to try. And so using a cross, he forces Angel back as he tells him he doesn't like him. He pretty much (laughs) just sees him as a vampire. But Buffy's pretty gung-ho on him. Thinks he's a real person. So maybe he should prove her right. Angel realizes Xander's in love with Buffy. And when he confronts him about it, Xander (laughs) answers, aren't you? Okay, I did not realize how absolutely useless and kind of awful Angel is. <laughs> Until this rewatch. Oh, he's terrible. Like, I never really liked him. At least not after Spike showed up. But like, wow. Wow. He really, like, again, he really just spends most of his time just being cryptic and useless. Yeah. Okay, so he's there during Welcome to the Hellmouse and the Harvest. Mm-hmm. And he makes some snarky comments, gives Buffy a necklace, but does nothing to stop the events of Welcome to the Hellmouse and the Harvest. <laughs> and then just has a comment at the end like, huh. She was able to do it. And then he disappears until the night of the annoying ones rising and is like, cryptic message, cryptic message, which Buffy already knew. Yeah. Doesn't do anything to help stop the rising of the anointed one. Fucks off again. (laughs) But don't we see in flashbacks in later seasons, I mean, it doesn't make sense now, but don't we see in flashbacks in later seasons where he he had been creepily watching Buffy for a long time. And I think his meant his calculation was that I don't want to become like overly involved in this person and like, you know, maybe fall in love with this person. So I think he was trying to help with also keeping his distance. And I think the show explains it later on, but yeah, now I it mean, just reads as freaking weird. It doesn't, it doesn't make it any less creepy. Yeah. It just reads as worse. I think later on, because you find out he's been watching her since Henry. Yeah. Like he's been creeping on her since she was 15. Oh, <laughs> like, but not, not that I'm saying that a 241-year-old person should creep on an underage person, but he's from, like, what, the 1700s? So, yeah. like, a, like if yeah. he's, like, in his 20s, he would have married a person who's 15. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I think there is, like, that kind of... <laughs> but, like, yeah. I'm no. not condoning... <laughs> we, I'm not condoning pedophiles. not condoning this. So all these over 200 vampires in the state right now, <laughs> we're not saying you should go out and get yourself 18 age girlfriends. Just because it was okay in the 1700s <laughs> doesn't mean it's okay now. But, like, okay. So, but, yeah. So then he shows up during Angel and is like, I'm gonna make out with you. And then he disappears again. Gives Giles a book and now is like, oh, well, guess she's dead. Time to start stalking the next girl. Like, (laughs) how is this Buffy's one true love? He has already Spike defied a hell god. (laughs) And this was Buffy's one true love. Okay, Spike also tried to rape her. I mean, I do think that there's a, like, and I know that James Marsters does not agree with this scene and like that's a very controversial scene, but I'm just saying that like both of her relationships are very toxic. Like both of the her like big romantic relationships Riley the one that wasn't really toxic was the one that she was done with like bored but by. Riley was actually the example of toxic masculinity because he couldn't handle that Buffy was better and stronger than him that is true so I mean I we will we will get into the spike issue in season six because spike did not have a soul at that point Angel has a soul at this point and Angel with a soul was like oh well guess she's dead bye and Spike knew what he did was wrong and he went to get a soul because of it because he realized he could no longer go on that way. I have I have a lot of thoughts about 
Spike in season six and the fact that that I just think the scene never should have happened I just think that scene was put in because someone was pissed that everybody was shipping Spike and and I I think he got a little annoyed at Marty because Marty was a, a big forerunner for Spike and Buffy yeah and yeah, no, that scene should have never been in no, there. Everybody no. agrees that scene shouldn't have been in there. Somebody was being a big giant pain in the ass about it. Yeah, that that but that like, threw me out for the longest and time. And not to mention that it's like you made your actors feel uncomfortable. Both those yeah. actors yeah. have said they did not like that scene and they do not agree with it. So it's like, we, why? Like, why, yeah. why? Okay, but I, I will say in Angel's defense, there is a scene in the script that gets cut where Colin goes to Angel's appoint- yes. apartment. yeah. And is like, stay out of the master's way. And Angel's like, why? And he's like, because he doesn't like you anymore. Because, you know, Angel killed his precious Starla. Yeah. And he's like, do you know what the master could do to you? And Angel's like, yes. He's like, no, you don't. But again, Angel, defy the hell god. And you're just like, man, she's probably dead. I'm just going to sit in my apartment. It's too late. Again, season one. (laughs) It's like, Angel, you're really useless. (laughs) I know in high school, Jackie was very into angels. So. Oh, no, no, you know, I, I do. I actually, I agree with the course of the series in the sense that I think Angel was right for Buffy in this moment for these times and what she was going through. But then when Spike came along, I thought Spike was right for Buffy in those moments in what mm-hmm. she was going through. You know, I think I think the series does a good job at portraying like someone's like growth or not, you know, in a relationship. And I mean, I mean, if you look at it that way, it's true because like, I know I make, I make fun of Angel a lot. I make fun of Angel and Buffy's relationship a lot. But high school is like, he is that mysterious older yeah. guy who's there and is, Kind of helpful, kind of a dick, but like you're, he's so cute and he pays attention to her. And, and then Spike is someone that she's had a Rocky because, you know, he tried to kill her starting in season two, Yeah, but she's no longer, she has this relationship with that's, that's gone on different levels. So to be like, so it, it, that is the person you end up with in your twenties as opposed to the guy you were crushing on when you were 16 years old. At least she didn't go the Bella route and get made a vampire by this mysterious... This series is so dumb. I mean, it it's just the it's dumbest. so bad. <laughs> My boyfriend left. I'm just going to sit and stare Not to mention, window. I read that entire series because I thought they were building up to an epic vampire battle. Oh, um, God. Because that's what you would think. Like, you're reading the series and you're like, they're all getting together, these different clans, and there's going to be a huge battle, and it's going to be the sharks and the jets. And then they just talk and nothing happens. And I'm yeah. like, bah! Bah! <laughs> yeah. Also, every side character in those novels were more interesting that's, than everyone. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like all the and and all the people that they brought in at the end. Like I want to know their story. I want to know his story. I want to know like what no happened. cares about Edward and Bella. Although I will say that the best part and is- their weird child who their friend is in love with, but oh the child God. is like five. What? The the best part is that nobody hates it more than the people who were in those movies. I know. Like no one hates it. But like I love I love Anna I love Anna Kendrick where she's like I don't have to be in this one. Like <laughs> Anna Kendrick forgot. You know Anna Kendrick was the one who who leaked that script. She I think she like threw it in the trash in her hair salon. Yes, yes, <laughs> I do. I remember that. Oh, yeah, I love it. Back in the library, Giles tells Jenny that the master is as old as any vampire on record. Well, now we know that's not true. We've already established that Lothos is older than the master. But okay, sure, fine. The master's terrifying. Well, Lothos is dead now, so he doesn't really count. Oh, that's true. The master is the oldest vampire alive. On record. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So, like. Ah, there you go. Okay. 
Jenny has a question and a very important one. The Hellmouth is going to open, right? Like the master is down below and the Hellmouth is going to open and let him out. Where is this going to happen? Giles admits that's a good point as he asks her to go through the Black Chronicles, asking Willow to check the local histories. Having reached the entrance to the master's lair, the annoying one leaves Buffy. She has to enter alone. Enter she does. As she's looking around, the master bids her welcome. She thanks him and tells him that he really should talk to his contractor as it looks like he has water damage. Ah, yes. The feeble banter portion of the fight. (laughs) He would really prefer they skip to Buffy shoots the crossbow in his direction, but he catches the arrow. Nice shot. Elsewhere in the tunnels, Angel and Xander are trekking along. Angel pauses a moment to get his bearings and Xander accuses him of looking at his neck. <laughs> he he wasn't, but okay. No, no, he was looking at his neck. Xander knows it. He told Angel to eat before they left. <laughs> Reloading the crossbow, Buffy listens as the master tells her she's not going to kill him, that she doesn't understand her part in this at all. She's not the hunter, she's the lamb. Giles is still trying to figure out just where the Hellmouth could be. They know that the vampire numbers in Sunnydale are increasing, that the master is building an army. Jenny wonders if the army won't gather at the Hellmouth. Well, when the master tried to rise the night of the harvest, he sent a bunch of vampires to the bronze. Bronze, prom. They need to warn everyone. Jenny says she and Willow will go. Giles needs to concentrate on the demon killing. Grabbing her purse, she tells Willow that her car is in the lot. Giles tells them to stay close and be careful. Buffy and the master continue their game of cat and mouse. Buffy remarking that for someone all powerful, the master sure does like to hide. He says that he's waiting for her, that he wants this moment to last. Well, she doesn't. She sees a shadow moving across the lair and watches it, but the master ends up being behind her. He knocks the crossbow out of her hand and reaches for her neck, just like her dream at the beginning of Nightmares. Walking to the car, Willow asks, what happens if the vampires reach the bronze before they do? Jenny doesn't think they need to worry about that as the vampires aren't going to the bronze. (laughs) They're headed for the school and they're walking really slow what like thing? like we're back to the vampires vampires yeah we're back to the zombie-esque vampires of the pilot one thing one thing that i love about this whole scene is like we had all these episodes we knew that the Hellmouth was a thing we had all of these episodes and no one ever bothered no to look one up ever, where it was and that's why i love jenny like okay so where is this mystical thing that is going to be opening I wonder if they ever thought about it that way before. Like, they knew, like, the Hellmouth was a place and it's full of mystical energy, but I think it wasn't until somebody mentions it literally, like, opening, opening that Jenny was like, it, it needs to have a physical location. Yeah, yeah. so, like, but it, you know what? And it's also awesome because you have somebody who hasn't been part of the team for very long. But who knows way more about mystical shit than most of them. But who knows way more. Plus, she's an outside, like... Like, they get comfortable with each other, so it's somebody new who can be like, okay, well, what about this thing? Yeah. Because I know Cordy gets, like, into that, too, later on. Like, she's like, okay, well... Yes, Cordy's very good at that. Asking the questions that we're all thinking. They're Jillian. They're, they are Jillian. Oh my God. Jillian asked the questions you didn't know you needed we to ask. We didn't know. She's so good. That's why it's so good to talk to her. <laughs> Buffy manages to get free of the master's grip and goes to run, but he now has her in his thrall and so stops her in her track. Or at least that's what I'm assuming is going on. He kind of like holds out his hand all Vader-like and she stops as if froze. Coming up behind her, he tells her that she tried. It was noble of her coming down there trying to stop his rising. But you see, killing her is what sets him free. So if she had never come, see I told you, she should have just crossbowed the annoying one and been done with it. 
<laughs> he bites her, sucking her blood for all of 0.2 seconds before dropping her body into a pool of water. As he turns to leave, he tells her that he likes her dress. Back at the entrance of his lair, he is finally free. A blinding light fills the screen as he steps through the barrier. In the tunnels, Xander and Angel hear the barrier break. I guess mystical barriers make a sound when they break. Xander asks what that sound is as Angel tells him that they're too late. The master is free. They all but sprint to the lair to find Buffy face down in a pool of stagnant water. Her hair now magically free of its updo. Angel runs and pulls her from the water checking for a pulse. She's dead. Xander refuses to believe she's truly dead. Angel tells him she's not breathing. Okay, but if she drowned, they could still save her with CPR. Angel tells Xander he'll have to administer it as he has no breath. <laughs> Laying on the ground, they begin. Back at school, Willow tries to figure out why the vampires are all headed towards the school. Jenny doesn't really care. They just need to get out of there. <laughs> so it's extremely lucky for them that Cordelia happens by in her car. She commands them to get in. Xander continues the CPR, attempting to will it to work. Before Buffy opens her eyes, she rolls to the side, coughing out a bit of the water that was in her lungs before looking around. I really do like the look Angel and Xander share there. Like this one teeny tiny milliscule of a moment, they're buds. Yes. It's not going to continue. But for right now, they're buds. We're, we're just happy that Buffy's alive. And speaking of things I love, let's talk about Cordy just driving into the school. Oh my god, I love that. I love it. I love that. Jenny tells her they need to get to the library, and yeah, Cordelia just plows through the doors of the school and drives right to the library doors. Also, suddenly the vampires are able to run. They were being very dramatic. Okay. And plus, <laughs> plus the hell mouth wasn't open, so they're like, you know what? We can take our oh, time. Take Leisurely stroll. We don't want to pull a muscle. Oh, but now, now it's getting serious. Now so it's they getting gotta serious. Hurry. Yeah. Entering the library, Cordelia, Jenny, and Willow attempt to slam and hold shut the library doors. When Giles asks what's happening, they all respond, "Guess." <laughs> Willow attempts to beat the vampires back with a library sign as Giles grabs some furniture to barricade the door with. Meanwhile, the master is just chilling on the roof, talking about his beautiful world. <laughs> getting to her feet Buffy asks about the master and they tell her that he's gone up she goes to follow but the boys are afraid she's still a little weak no she's not she feels strong different turning back to look at them she tells them let's go they're all still trying to barricade the door when Giles realizes the vampires are attempting to come in other ways Jenny and Willow run to barricade the door leading from the stacks as Giles goes for his office a tentacle for the creature below snakes towards Willow and a vampire grabs Cordelia's arm prompting her to scream for help can we just get like three cheers for the creature designers on this too because yes, yes again yeah. these are more practicals they're basically done like Muppets where yeah, like exactly. people's yeah. hands are in there yeah because they, so. they wanted to they knew the creature that came from the hellmouth had to be terrifying they wanted to cgi it they did not have the budget for that so optic nerve made the puppet yeah. costumes and each of those not the smaller tentacles obviously those are puppets but when you see like the big three-headed worm tentacle thing there is a person in each of those tentacles cute badass hero walk <laughs> The theme song plays as Buffy, Xander, and Angel march towards the school. And damn, I love I love that moment. Xander. I love that Xander is in on the badass hero. Walk. Xander is gonna get in on the badass hero. Like walk. you have you have Buffy and Angel, who are very badass, and you have Xander, who is Xander, but he gets to have a moment. He does. But the thing is, is like, you know, it's like we said earlier, um, he he has skills, like normal people's skills that still help out. Like knowing CPR, that's a huge, yeah. big, awesome deal, you yeah. know? And I mean, and he punched, he punched the clown in Nightmares. And like, he punched he, that one guy in the, in the lab. Yeah, like he, he does have normal person skills. He's very good at what he does. Yes. Team Xander. That's right. 
Xander asks how she knows where the master is, and she replies simply, I know. They arrive at the school, and there's a vampire hanging out outside. Oh, look, a bad guy. She simply hits him and keeps going, heading for the stairs that lead to the roof. Once there, she tells Angel and Xander to wait below and keep all the other vampires off her for Angel to put his game face on. Then she heads up the stairs one way or another. This won't take long. As the vampire keeps pulling at Cordelia, she bites his hand with a, see how you like it. I, I just, I can't. That moment kills me. She just, Bites the vampire back, like... You know, I have bitten my child before because he's bitten me, so... So you understand, I would bite the vampire, too. Like, yeah, you want to bite me? Well, let's see how you like it. (laughs) The tentacle snakes around Willow's ankle as she screams, and Jenny grabs hold of her, calling for Giles. Giles steps out of his house and realizes what is happening. The Hellmouth is under the library. Oh, poor Giles. This realization comes as a giant ugly ass creature emerges from said Hellmouth. Cordelia stares in horror. And we just talked about the ha- the creature was made by Octave Nerve. Yep. Amazing, amazing work. That is it. I mean, it is it is a terrifying looking yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Above the master is filled with glee, urging his child to come into his world. From off screen, Buffy tells him, not quite yet. And the master is confused. She's dead. Maybe, but she's still pretty. Which is more that she can say for Oh, him. I love that. He doesn't understand. She was destined to die. It was written. Well, what can she say? She flunked the written. The master once again attempts to place Buffy in his thrall. In the library, the group continues to beat back the creature. <laughs> and Xander, Giles has an axe. Like, they're just wailing on this thing, just doing anything they can to keep it from coming up. The master asks how she thinks she could beat him up here when she couldn't down below. Well, it's probably because we had to get the prophecy out of the way. Uh, Buffy doesn't really respond. She just tells Jackie, what does she say here? I know it's like one of your favorite lines in the whole scene of the show. You have fruit punch mouth. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. I love it because I was thinking it the whole time. It's so it's so good. Like it's such it's such a good insult, and you don't get insults like that anymore. Like no, <laughs> you have Mary. Fun. Is that in the script? I'm curious because it's like uh-huh. that has to be something that you coordinate with knowing what the master looks like. Yeah, it's in the script. That that part is in the script. So it must have been like they saw pre. The writers were like looking at the previous episode. It, the whole se- it's weird because I think the whole season was shot all at once because it was a mid-season replacement. So yeah. I don't know if they were showed like dailies or whatever that they were like, oh, we got to add this in because these guys Hey, well, the writers stuff. would have probably been on set too. But yeah, I think it was shot on all once because I think that was the thing with like Clea Duval saying that like they shot her episode before this ever went to air. Yeah. And then once it aired, like Clea Duval became obsessed with the show. As you do. As you do. And then, yeah, Bobby hits him right in the mouth. I just love it. It's so true. It's like, I love that their characters will say things that the audience is really thinking. Like when you get into later, later seasons where they have like the apocalypse for the like 45th time, they're all like, again, again. Yeah. And you know, and then some of these, some of these older sci-fi fantasy series, they don't, they're so insular in their world that they don't kind of like let that joke in. Yeah. From there's, the audience. there's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of meta with Buffy. Yeah, there like, is. 
Like you, like they're aware that they're in this weird world. And so they, they comment on it, like without breaking the fourth wall, but they still comment on everything that goes on. Like, oh, great. What are we doing today? Oh, we got to save the world again. Yeah. We'll go out for coffee later. There's so, yeah, there's so much about it, Buffy. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. So we're going to move into a series of rotational scenes, Buffy and the Master fighting, Xander and Angel staving off vampires, Giles and the gang attempting to continue to contain a creature from below somewhere in there buffy does one of her glorious and slightly less useless in this context backflips backing her against the skylight the master asks where her quips are now will she be laughing when his hell is unleashed upon the earth she looks down noticing a broken table a nice sharp piece of wood sticking straight up and waiting and tells the master that if he's so amped on hell then he can just go there before tossing him over her shoulder and down into the skylight the wood pierces his heart and his body starts to disintegrate. Ooh. Can we talk about how the master is, as Spike would call him, all cat and no hat? It's like, <laughs> we just spent 11 episodes building this man up in his pleather jumpsuit. <laughs> and sparkly. For him to lose in a five second battle. I was like, that's the only thing I, I don't know. Maybe I wish that they had done a two-parter or there was like a little bit more time in the episode or something because I was like, this is just laughably bad that he loses this quickly. I mean, I guess it's true. Like yeah. we have been building and building and building like the, the master. Yeah, the this is the oldest vampire that is still alive. We have been building up since literally the first episode. There's, there's prophecies. There's all of this stuff surrounding him. You have all these vampires moving in because well, like, he, he has like an army and all Buffy has to do is like literally just like toss him over her but, shoulder. Like, where does the whole order go by the end? Like it's just him and Colin at the end. She probably killed them. Yeah, she did kill them all. Yeah, she, you know, Like, all his followers are gone by the yeah, end. Yeah, like, cause she's... Then who's, wait, but then who's making the other vampires? He can't leave his thing. I don't know. Somebody from out of town. We, 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 uh... You've seen the Greyhound buses coming in. That's true. So, apparently they do ride on Greyhound. Okay. (laughs) There's probably some sort of... Joe the secret underground vampire from out of town who's just, like, (laughs) hiding out and making other vampires. And he doesn't want to be splashy like the master because he knows he's just going to be tossed over in two seconds. That's his, that's his, uh... That's how he survives. That's his job. That's his job. Like, all he has to do is make vampires. Yeah, he just, he lives in, like, Angel's apartment building in one of those, like, basement apartments (laughs) that nobody cares about. Me and Angel sometimes pass each other. <laughs> and the angel's like, Joe, are you? Joe? And he's like, No, man, I'm just, I'm just hiding out. I mean, yeah, no, no, no. Hey, we're chill. We're chill, we're chill. We're chill. It's it's fine. I like this. I like Joe. <laughs> Joe. Joe. I hope Joe comes back. Joe is our Joe's a new story that we have. Joe is a new story. Yeah. I and back. Joe is very like Joe just wears jeans and like a t shirt. He oh, just yeah, does he, not want to be. He seen. makes sure he makes sure he keeps up with the current fashion. Low exactly. profile. Yeah, because like look how Buffy got the the yeah. yeah. You look like DeBarge. Right. You need to yeah. So Joe is just gonna Joe is the smartest vampire on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody has. <laughs> This is true. The battle over, the creature and the vampire is gone. Buffy, Xander, and Angel join the others in the library as they all gather near the master's bones. He's dead. It's over. Buffy died and came back. It was kind of a big day all around. (laughs) So what do they do now? Giles doesn't really care as long as it gets them out of the library. He's rather not all that keen on it anymore. Xander mentions the dance and Cordelia and the others perk up. Buffy says, why not? They saved the world. They should party. Plus she got all pretty. 
When asked about the master's bones, Buffy says he's not going anywhere. Loser. <laughs> it shall be noted that this is all happening over this absolutely gorgeous piano rendition of the theme song that I must now find because I loved it's it so much. beautiful, yeah. They all start to head out of the library, chattering excitedly. Giles says he's not going to dance while Jenny says they'll see. Someone, I think, mentions the car in the hallway because you hear Cordelia excitedly answer, that was me. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) And Angel tells Buffy he likes her dress. Yeah, yeah. It was a big hit with everyone. So that line was actually added post-production and was not in the original script. I'm guessing they began editing and decided they wanted to extend the whole everyone complimenting Buffy's dress thing as we saw both Willow and the master. Yeah. it earlier okay so let's talk a little bit more about the stress i know jackie loves the stress i love the stress Um, can we just have five seconds to say that they were like we defeated the master and the library is destroyed and at no point is anyone concerned about this (laughs) they're like i mean it's even mentioned like maybe we should put his bones away and they're like nah let's just go to prom i feel like there is a sense of shell shock like they're like yeah they'll go clean it up tomorrow yeah it'll keep It'll keep. I love the Jazz fact- isn't like, my job is in jeopardy. The entire thing that I've been entrusted to keep clean is like a freaking mess. I Again, like, I just think Giles is like, eh, prophecy was broken. This hat, like, he's like, huh. Yeah. Fuck it. It's Snyder's problem. It's Snyder's problem. <laughs> Okay, the dress. So in preparing my notes for this episode, I went to check and see if Slayage had any articles that might give us some more things to talk about, because this is kind of a pivotal episode. Well, the journal did not disappoint. In an article by Holly Chandler called Slaying the Patriarchy, Transfusions of the Vampire Metaphor in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I will link in the show notes, they obviously talk about the master, about how he is kind of the epitome of the patriarchy. But they also talk about Buffy's dress and the symbology behind it, about how it plays into the tropes we've seen throughout the horror genre. Buffy's dress is white. When she faces the master, she is presumably still a virgin. How many times have we seen this, especially in gothic horror? We added to that the whole sexual overtone of the vampire's bite, use of white in ceremonies such as marriage, and we could almost call this Buffy's sexual awakening, especially given how in season two (laughs) she and Angel step up their relationship, moving from banter to a true physical relationship. And we will just we'll talk loads more about that then. Oh, yeah. Then there's the sacrifice angle, the virgin in white being sacrificed. A trope Buffy, like so many others, immediately turns on its head because it's not her death that saves them, but her resurrection. Sacrifice may be noble, but it's a waste. And Buffy has her own nightmare moment here. Like Xander facing the clown and Willow facing the horrors on living on a hellmouth. Buffy has essentially woken up from the dream she's been having of the master all season and now knows that he holds no power over her. It's a great article. I actually really enjoyed reading it. I suggest everyone takes it out or checks it out. Um, As the episode ends, we zoom out the the camera focusing on the bones of the master. And that is the end of season one. How is everybody feeling? I feel great. I know. I know. I feel great. Does anyone have any final thoughts about the episode? I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long ride. It's been a long. It's been a long. Yeah. Season one is, and season one is the shortest season. It's it's short, but there's so much much that happens. Yeah, there's so much that happens. All right. Well, if no one has any final thoughts, that is it. I'm so happy that we got to have Jackie I'm so today. happy we got to have Jackie, who hopefully we'll probably have back soon, because I know you want to talk about School Heart. Yeah. 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 So, that'll be so much So we'll fun. see you pretty soon into season two. Yeah. I like me. I love me some Spike, actually. But yeah. So if nobody has any thoughts, that's it for this week. Yes. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you guys for having me. This is so much fun. 
I fun. can't wait till we get you back again. Yes. I'm so excited. It was so much fun. Uh, thank everyone for listening. Uh, come back next week when we are doing the second book in the Julie Kenner series, California Demon. Book Club. Book Club is fun. I'm plugging Book Club. Yes, we're going to do our second book club. And until then, you can check out our various social media channels, all of which are listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or you can write us at watchdiaries at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. Bye.